0: There's a lot that I want to do. Shall we start with 1965? Okay. Shall we start with when you first came to Korea, which I believe was in 1965, Mr. November, November. time oh. of year, 1965. I came November 2005, so 40 years after you, but in November, yeah. and it was colder than I imagined it would be. It's not the time to first <laughs> arrive in Korea. You want to come in September. Yeah. What did it in 1965, what did Korea smell like, what did the food taste like, what did the people look like? I,
1: I, liked, your, I liked that question because uh, the sights and the smells and the tastes and the ambiance were a lot of what overwhelms people. Mm. And uh, a lot of people in those days uh, were repulsed by Korea because mm. there were uh, offensive smells uh, all over the place. And the overwhelming thing that I remember best was the poverty people were really, really poor. Mm. And uh, per capita income was $125 per year, per capita income, which is what, grindingly poor. What does
0: that mean in reality?
1: Well, you know, it's a distortion because you are that's $125 of those years, not today's years. Mm. You couldn't live for 20 minutes on $125 and sold a day. Mm. You spend more than that in parking fees. Uh, you you could get by with that. Uh, food was cheaper. I remember a dollar was two hundred and seventy-one, and pulkogi was two hundred and seventy-one.
2: Mm.
1: So in other words, a uh, dollar uh, of food, a dollar pulkogi was a big treat. Yeah, that was a lot of money to spend for a for a meal.
0: Was there much meat?
1: There was enough that you could get pulkogi whenever you wanted it. Okay. Yeah. And um, I actually think there was more beef than pork. That can't possibly be. But no, pulkogi was available. If you wanted that treat, you could get it. Mm-hmm. And other treats were uh, tangsuyuk at the shikdang Wow. And that was a wonderful, wonderful thing. Yeah. And uh, it's funny. In those days, uh, another aspect of it was the Japanese... Influence was still strong. For example, we didn't say kunmandu; we said yakimandu, mm. and we didn't say bokkeumpap; we mm. said yakimeshi,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is really a strange Japanese <laughs> sure. uh, kind of uh, word. We never said yakiniku; we always said pulgogi, mm. but we said yakimeshi and yakimandu. Mm.
0: Uh, it's interesting how, it's, since I've been here, it's changed from dakdori tang to dakbokkeum tang. Yeah, people uh, pick me up on that.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, things. Uh, the thing about Korea is, it's so dynamic; it changes all the time. And when I look at Korea with my nineteen sixty five eyes, which mm. I do from time to time, <laughs> in fact, this trip, having not been here for three years, yeah. when I look at Korea in a lot of places, I, I roll back the eyes to the nineteen sixty five mm. and I think, oh my goodness, this is especially Gangnam. Oh my goodness, that's just you know such a off the charts, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, set of structures, you know. Uh, in 1965, is when I arrived. I left in 1968, mm-hmm. and I remember the supervisor of the mission, uh, the 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 wife uh, of the of the supervisor of the mission, um, uh, said one day in 1968, mm-hmm. there was news that a five-story set of walk-up apartments whole new thing walk wow. up five stories tall apartments uh built along the han river were uh, built in a flood zone before the han river had been dammed and and protected mm. Yoido do was a sandbar mm. which was an emergency airplane landing strip right and you couldn't use it you couldn't build a structure on it because it would be flooded every year in the floods but they've built enough dams upstream to control the, the, the monsoon rains. Mm. But not in 1968, and the, the bank was washed away underneath the, 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 the foundations of this five-story set of apartments. And uh, everyone got out okay, because mm. they could see the trouble was, it, it happened over a few days. Uh, but the, it was washing away and they couldn't stop it, and the whole set of apartments fell into the river. And uh, the thing that the supervising uh, uh, woman in our group said, somehow these people need to learn how to live on top of each other. Mm. And I reflected back on that
2: time. <laughs> Yeah,
1: they might have to learn to live on top of each other. I mean, that's where they all live now.
0: They've learned it very well, that lesson, haven't they?
1: Yeah, very well. And, and, and over the years, I've seen this five-story walk up as one stage, and then I saw the 12-story elevator and the what is a
0: walk up sorry just an apartment with stairs no
1: no no elevator okay okay yeah just a walk up uh maybe that's new york expression it's it's not utah expression we don't have walk ups but i i think <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i think that's a new york city expression a, a, an apartment complex that has no elevator okay uh then in, there was a phase in the what, mid 70s when i was here where you had 12 story elevators, and then you mm-hmm. had 17-story the Bampo uh, complex. I think Bampo is 12 stories. Anyway, then you see, start seeing 17 and 20-story buildings, and then you start seeing 30-story buildings. Mm-hmm. These days, there are 50-story apartments in Tegu and Pusan. Yeah. I think there are a few around here, 50 stories tall. Somehow, these people need to learn how to live on top of each other. <laughs> live on
0: the first floor. What was the, the because today, with the 50-story apartments, the summers feel very hot. The winters feel very cold. But we have aircon, and we have heaters. Like in 1965, how did you how do you survive the summers? How do you survive the winters? You didn't.
1: <laughs> you, you died. You died in the winter. You died in the summer. Uh, <laughs> we used to laugh about. Uh, there was a naive presentation from many Koreans from their school days. Hmm. The Korea is a wonderful place that has four seasons. Oh,
0: I've heard it many times. Yeah. And
1: it's as if they're only, it's the only country in the world that has four seasons, mm. where you and I from Utah and, and UK. Dover. No, uh, oh, you're a Dover uh, man. Yeah. Uh, where you, you have four seasons, uh, but the trouble with the Korean four seasons are they're not four good seasons yep. there, there are two good seasons and two awful seasons yep. the uh, the winters here are really cold and and biting and the summers are just unbearably hot and mm. muggy mm. Uh, but we've got four seasons fortunately the springs and the autumns are just beautiful in well, this country yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Did, did There weren't hot packs of the, you know, the little things that you put in your oh, pocket? Oh, heavens or? No, no, heavens no. no just lots there, of layers you wore? Or?
1: You just wore lots of layers. You'd get gloves, you'd wear a hat, you'd uh, have a sweater and then a coat on top of that and a coat on top of that. And mm. uh, uh, You had the ondol bong. We all had ondol bong back in those days. And You'd be out and freezing cold and you come home and sit on the ondo bong and put the Evil will up o- yeah. around your shoulders, and you warm up and be nice and toasty, and you're okay. Nice. Yeah. Central heat, forget it. It was all ondol, and uh, uh, <laughs> we we at times lived in places where the uh, ondol floor was nice and warm, mm. but you could see your breath outside your blanket, <laughs> oh. and it was cold enough in the room yeah. that you could see your your the steam from your breath, but the the sleeping was warm and if you can sit and, uh, uh, you know, toast your bottom on the on the old floor, mm. you, you'd survive.
0: What was the summer then like? You have the hand fans, yeah, I guess? Yeah, I
1: had hand fans and uh, you just survived. Somehow there was no relief, you know, there was never any relief mm. and uh, any building you operated in they, they'd have institutional fans, you know, the a fan to cool off the whole mm. space. But no, the summers were just hot and miserable, but you just, yeah, that's the way it was. You just live with it.
0: What would the, in 1965, did you have an impression of what the people were like? And was it an old population? Was it a young population? Did you see the whole demographic? Was it mainly masculine or? or?
1: We'd see the whole demographic and it was, uh, uh, the masculine feminine thing was very marked because mm. the men were men and the women were women and uh, uh, it was uh, it was it was difficult it was uh, a difficult life uh, we saw a lot of students we interacted most with students because they were the most interested in learning English and talking to foreigners but mm-hmm. we talked to older people and um, I remember one of the first uh, people I knew was a man who was very gentle and kind and he was very sensitive at that point because it he found a lot of solace in the church mm. in that he had three sons and the baby boy had just died mm-hmm. and he had a like a like a four-year-old and a two-year-old but they'd just lost the little one and i i don't quite know how he died it might have been natural causes but uh this gentleman was very sensitive and very uh emotional mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, uh, the thing that impressed me about the people was the genuineness of the people. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was no artificiality because there was nothing to be artificial about. (laughs) You know, you didn't have any money to hide behind. You Mm -hmm. didn't have any status to hide behind. Uh, You had nothing, and that's who you were. And so uh, there was a certain genuineness of the people that I really enjoyed that Uh, is still there, but Mm. sometimes you have to break through a little bit of the barriers to to get to it. But the, the, oh, the Confucian and the Buddhist and uh, the traditions just make people caring and concerned about other people. Now, when I say that to Koreans, very often they'll say, oh, no, we're cold to each other. And they are to each other. Mm. Uh, But the foreigner breaks through. Mm. And it's somehow part of the Confucian shtick that you... Uh, you know, Conf- uh, Confucius himself said in the No-No, in the mm. uh two things that are absolutely uh, epical and mark the story for Koreans. One is there's nothing uh, of greater pleasure than to study.
0: That's the first line of the first book, I believe, isn't yeah. it? Yeah.
1: And the second line is uh, it is nothing is more pleasurable than to, to greet a guest who has come from afar. Mm, yeah, that's right. And the first line of Mencius says, uh, King Hui of the Liang Dynasty says, Sir, you have not considered a thousand li too far, yet you have come to see me. So the idea of traveling mm-hmm. from afar to, 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 uh, to see you, you know, the, the, the Korean person you're visiting with, is is greatly prized, and they're, they're happy to... Uh, to host you mm-hmm. which over the years for me has become burdensome because they always treat and if I want to pay for the the dinner no I'm a guest and and I have to I have to resort to all sort of artifices yeah. to to pay yeah. my fair share and I feel very guilty about it because I've been a freeloader most of my time here I've mm-hmm. accepted the idea that oh no you're a guest and oh, okay you know but uh, I have to resort to all sort of artifice, like you you get up and go to the bathroom just before you leave and you pay the the clerk on the way. Or you tell the clerk coming in, you give the clerk your credit card and say, I'm not going to take any nonsense from this. (laughs) I'm treating today and I don't want uh, them to pull their card out. So, no, uh, Koreans are uh, generous through a fault, perhaps, you know, that they... Uh, you know, in those days, uh, people didn't have any money, but they felt like they had to take you out to dinner once in a while mm-hmm. and there were times where people would treat for dinner, and I knew they didn 't have any money to do that but yet yet they felt you know we can we can we can bust the bank once or twice a year mm-hmm. and that was the the sense I had they didn 't give me that sense, but as I looked at their finances of the average person, I knew that this meal was something they couldn 't do every month, mm-hmm. and so uh, the the people were so remarkably generous and kind and outgoing, uh, and that's the thing that struck me about it, and that's one of the reasons I've, I've stuck with it. You know, in a sense, I've never gone home.
2: <laughs> you know, I,
1: nice. even teaching and living in in Utah, BYU, and, mm-hmm. and even studying at Harvard, uh, that was all sort of a temporary thing. I was sort of forever, stuck here uh, in some mental state. I don't know quite how to explain that. Does that make any sense? It does. I worry
0: that I'm seeing my future. (laughs) Looking at you, I I do want to get onto Confucianism. But when you say, for example, about going to the restaurant, and uh, they would treat you, I do get the impression sometimes that I might have quite a positive view of South Korea because of treatment, like you described that I get, and and my young students at the university, especially the women, they would say, that's not the career that I experienced, David. So there are many different careers, but in 1965, when you went to the restaurants, two questions. One, were they predominantly sitting on the floor then? Always. Always, right. And uh,
1: And that's one thing that struck me about this trip. In the last three years, they've gone from the sitting on the floor rooms Mm -hmm. Uh, all the sitting on the floor rooms have been converted to uh, shoes on and yeah. sit at a table.
0: Sometimes you get one where you, your feet go down into yeah. a thing, so you uh, get the illusion of it, but you're still sitting on a chair.
1: And I I went to a restaurant the other day that has a sunken hole, but it's yeah. been covered over, and they're sitting on tables now. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> but for me in the old days it was no problem because my yeah. knees were very supple. I could I could sit like the Buddha for yeah. hours. You yeah. know, I I imagined myself as the Buddha. You know. And, in a lotus position with my knees knuckled under me. Uh, A a lot of my uh, uh, Western friends uh, couldn't get their knees down. They sat with their knees sort of arched up as they were sitting there. Uh, I could always do it, but now my knees are arthritic Mm. and I can't do the lotus uh, sit anymore. So I'm grateful. Korea has changed every restaurant just for me. I'm so delighted. (laughs) uh, As
0: it should. The second question about the restaurants in 1965, What was being, drink, drink, drunk, what was (laughs) was being uh, drunk at that time? Was it mackley, was it soju, was it in like cups, shot glasses, beer?
1: Yes, 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 Uh, all all of the above. Uh, uh, But I'm not the one to ask about drinking culture because I don't drink. Okay. I I, I was uh, 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 separate from that. You see it, you know, I understand it. In fact, I've had more than one occasion where someone who enjoys the the drink of mm. Korea, which mm. is a fantastic culture, and a lot of people just really enjoy that. And I've had some people say, you've lived in Korea all these years and you never drank mm. <laughs> And I said, well, yes. And they said, well, how could you possibly do it? And I said, well, the secret is you don't drink at all. Yeah. <laughs> because if you drink a little, there's no such thing as a little.
0: One is too many, 10 is not enough. Yeah, for yeah.
1: Me. So, uh, no, I've seen drinking culture, um, you know, in a sense, thinking about this, uh, last night driving home, mm. uh, I went past a uh, crosswalk and two guys were stumbling over and one just fell down right on the ground. Mm. And his drunken friend leaned over him as if he were any better. He wasn't really. <laughs> and and uh, I think in the old days, we used to see more people that were, quote, falling down drunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, there was very little other entertainment. Mm-hmm. And uh, there always seemed to have been liquor, yeah okay. and and I think soju and and mekju has, has always been around uh, Koreans in subsequent years have become more connoisseur of the uh, western liqueur uh, the wines and yeah. the uh, whiskies i don't know if they've gotten into uh, 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 any of the other uh, liquors that are available the champagnes or the Uh, other more sophisticated liquors. But, uh, yeah, whiskey and wine are on the scene now. And and though I don't partake, I see and and know it's there and Mm -hmm. see it's there indeed.
0: What was the... Was there a curfew in six? Because the curfew oh, I did in yes. eighty two. Oh assume, yes. I oh in
1: sixty five, absolutely curfew, uh, but that didn't affect me as a missionary because you had to go home anyway. We we were never out till midnight. We okay. had a we had our own internal ten o'clock ten thirty curfew. Mm-mm-mm. But when I was a student here, yeah, and uh, my wife and I would go out social socializing, we very often ended up staying at the friend's house because we couldn't get out mm-hmm. in time to get home and get a taxi. Um, I, uh, as a student here, I didn't have a car. Of course, the
0: when were you a student here, sorry? In
1: the uh, 70s well, uh, two occasions: uh, seventy-four for one semester oh. uh, postmaster's degree, sort of exploring a PhD possibility, and then from uh, the whole year of seventy-seven hmm. uh, into the first half of seventy-eight, I was a, a PhD uh, student researcher here. Okay. Uh, when I say student, people ask uh, what university I attended. I was affiliated with both Korea University and Seoul National. I spent most of my time at the Seoul National University Library doing mm. my research. Uh, but socially, my wife and I would visit friends, and, and uh, we had one friend in particular, he had a very nice house in Hanamdong, a, a, f- a, f- a friend from New Zealand and mm. a, a friend from school. And he, uh, uh, he, he worked for General Motors and had a big nice house. And uh, I and his wife, like to play Scrabble, mm-hmm. and my wife tolerates Scrabble; it's okay. And he, the the friend, tolerated Scrabble, but he uh, allowed his the humor, the good humor of his wife, to play Scrabble. So mm-hmm. she and I were the Scrabble players, and the other two just tagged along. Yeah. But you know, Scrabble doesn't uh, uh, you can't get through a good Scrabble game very quickly. <laughs> and uh, my golly, if you if you haven't finished the, your Scrabble game by eleven fifteen, forget it. And so. We'd finish one game at ten thirty, maybe.
2: Mm.
1: Well, let's play one more. Well, that means we're staying over.
2: Mm. <laughs> so mm-hmm.
1: we didn't have things prepared, but we'd stay over at their place and then go home in the morning.
0: What did the curfew look like? Were there people patrol? Was it like? Was there a was there a fear? Was it or was it just you just don't go outside? Or you just don't
1: you... go outside. It, it just everybody does it. I mean, you don't. Uh, I talked to uh, some foreigners in the embassy and such, and they talked about how they could get around. Mm-hmm. Uh, the curfew, and they could get by at night. In fact, uh, embassy and military people would purposely wait till the closed down uh, so they wouldn't be caught in the hectic traffic That's of trying killer. to get home, yeah. and they would uh, they'd wait till the 12 o'clock bell had rang, and then they'd get out and drive, and with uh, diplomatic plates, they had some Immunity and mm. and uh, be waved through the different checkpoints. There were checkpoints at major intersections, not all over the place. What does a
0: checkpoint look like?
1: Oh, three uh, um, three or four policemen just out in the middle of the road, barricades up, mm. and you had to drive up to the uh, policeman or or I guess it was a military. No, oh, it could. I I was seldom out at that point. <laughs> uh, it was either police or military. I, yeah. I think more police now that I think about it. And you drive up to the barricade and they. Uh, look at you, shine mm. your light. They wouldn't shine your light in your face. They know that's true. They'd shine the light in an oblique way so they could mm. observe your face and mm. see you were a foreigner, and they'd see the license plate was a diplomat plate, and they'd just check and maybe look to make sure there weren't any uh, uh, North Korean spies holding his <laughs> hostage in the yeah. back seat or something. They'd look at you a little bit, and they'd just wave you on, and you'd drive for another two, three, four miles till you hit your next checkpoint, and then eventually you get home. So, no, it was a great crackdown. Everybody, uh, 11, 15, 11 o'clock hour was crazy. Mm. Uh, and uh, people had to get home sometimes. Sometimes people wouldn't go home. They'd uh, f- stop in a flophouse hotel for uh, 10,000 or whatever it was in, mm. in those days. And, um, which was an excuse for a lot of uh, dalliances. Hanky-panky. Uh, panky. Uh, obviously, mm. yeah. Out drinking, oh, I can't get home in time. and. You know, so there you are. But uh, uh, one one interesting thing that would happen is uh, you were desperate to get home, Mm -hmm. and the taxi drivers had license not to pick you up if you weren't going in their direction, because they had to get to their Mm -hmm. chago, Mm -hmm. you know, their their garage for the Mm -hmm. night and their home for the night. And so, taxi drivers would strategize on where they would take their last fare beginning like ten thirty or, or certainly by 11 mm. and if the f- last fare was away from home they'd drop off that fare and then they'd head home and they wouldn't pick up anybody unless they were heading their direction so the taxi driver would slow down roll down his window and you'd call out where you were going and okay. if it was close to where the taxi driver was going you'd get a ride and uh people would would do uh, interesting things they'd they'd hold up two fingers so like a victory sign, it was two fingers. Meaning, I'll pay double. Mm. Uh, I'll pay triple. You know, mm-hmm. uh, take me, take me home. I gotta get home. Yeah. I'll pay quadruple. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so a taxi driver heading home would think, uh, he, you know, it's triple up there. He'd pull over close, and if it was somewhere in the direction he's going, he'd he'd take him home. Uh, and there was doubling up too. You know, the, right? The taxi driver, if he was heading uh, from. Uh, Oh, Dongdaemun to Mapo, and uh, he hears one guy call Mapo. He'd give him a ride, and he'd slow down for the next group of people here. And he hears another Mapo, and he's, "Hey, do you mind if we double up?" Oh yeah, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. any ship in a storm, and so everybody would double up. It was crazy, Uh, interesting though, but absolutely crazy.
0: There will be some people listening to this, I think, going. It's still like that today to <laughs> try to get a taxi <laughs> late at night. Um, you mentioned beautiful segue. I don't know, You obviously didn't do it intentionally. But when just about these checkpoints briefly is that sometimes even today there'll be uh, breathalyzer checks and the police will put up little barricades and everybody has to go through. And I will then drive through and they'll see me as a foreigner and they'll just wave me through.
1: Oh, they'll cut your slack,
0: I, they'll cut, and I and I feel like no, oh, I want to be checked as well. I didn't drink, I'm a good boy tonight. Come on, please check me. But they'll just wave me through. Oh, feel, you do get some preference, you, you do get some preference. Maybe it's because I don't know, being a man or however it might be. But yeah, I, I, I do sometimes want to be treated the same, like you were mentioning with the, the paying the bills. Um, you mentioned about. Ambassadors or diplomats, police checking that they didn't have a North Korean spy in the bag and things like that. Now, even today in 2022, we, we see the missiles fly. What was, what was the atmosphere towards the North back then? Was there this horrible specter of communism hanging over the Absolutely. There were, well, how Absolutely. did that feel?
1: There like? were signs all over the place that yeah. said, uh, Pan Gong Bang Chup. Anti communism and anti
0: tubman
1: Spy. Oh, oh okay. Oh. Uh, turn in spies. Yeah. Catch spies. Mm. So uh, those are signs. Those signs were up all over the place. Uh, and one day they just all came down, uh, probably in the 70s sometime. Mm. But no, those signs were all over. There was a, a certain degree of suspicion of, uh, of foreigners, uh, too, to some degree. They just wanted to make sure. Uh, the government agents were a little less. Uh, fearless. Mm -hmm. Government agents would sort of double-check foreigners as well. Uh, I had a friend that uh, came into the country uh, to study, and he had some books uh, about the Chosun dynasty with him in in his luggage. Mm. And the uh, agent at the uh, airport, Chosun, Chosun, you've got books about (laughs) Chosun. And he only thought of Chosun as the... uh, North Korean Chosun. Mm. Oh. And and so my friend was harassed for having books about Chosun and he eventually convinced them that there was a Chosun dynasty. But uh, no, there was a certain degree of paranoia that uh, showed up in lots of different ways. Uh, I had a friend who uh, was drinking one night in a restaurant and laughing about uh, Park Chung-hee mm-hmm. and how draconian he was and the... You know, and he was with a couple of uh, young Korean students, a Peace Corps volunteer who was a couple of Korean students. Mm. And, well, he got himself arrested. Uh, The police came and they they found out who he was and Mm. they tracked down the students and uh, gave them a good what for. In fact, he he might have spent, I don't think he spent the night in jail, but he spent some time at the police station. And so, yeah, there was a lot of paranoia, uh, or maybe that's not the right word, just a caution about, you know, who you could trust. Because there were incidents of spies slipping in and doing this yeah. and that. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the North, for their part, uh, was convinced that there was a fifth column down here, that if they could just get the uh, the, the South organized, you know, mm-hmm. they would surely want to have uh, freedom from the— oppression in the in the South. You know, the North Korean propaganda toward the South was really, really incredibly naive. Uh, I was in Nepal one time in mm. the 74. And uh, so still early enough that people were quite paranoid. And um, I was just out jogging for exercise and I saw a flag that I thought, what's that flag? Is, is that a North Korean flag? I wasn't even sure at that point. Mm. Uh, and, and I stopped at the embassy and chatted them up. And, you know, you speak a little <laughs> Korean and you use it at the North Korean yeah. embassy. And uh, they uh, they saw me as a uh, candidate, I guess. Uh, they were very friendly to me mm. and uh, gave me some literature. Mm. And it had uh, uh, things about how, the, how awful it is in South Korea uh, with uh, 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 Americans kidnapping Koreans to adopt and send them off to America to work in the cotton fields. Mm. (laughs) You know, the cotton fields went mechanical 100 years ago from that time. Uh, So no, there was a lot of naivete on both sides about just who could be trusted and what was why.
0: And did that mistrust also extend towards the government? Because Park Chung-hee himself is either the, the man that built modern Korea. Or a it's a very difficult conversation. I, I'm just yeah. curious about the feeling on the ground at the time. Still
1: today, is like it was back in those days, it's sort of an even split. Yeah. It's sort of the left and the right. Uh, there are people today who laud uh, Pak Chung E for building the economy and doing all he did. And then you have other people who said, oh, he was just such an autocrat and abused the. Uh, uh, Human rights and democracy, and mm. and and there's the the story out there that uh, Pak really didn't build the economy, mm. that he just mobilized all the people that could build it, yeah. and that if he hadn't been around, that it had been built anyway, because he utilized uh, people like Namdoku who was his main economic uh, advisor. Mm. And uh, uh, when I was a student, when I was a missionary here. The students I would run into i uh, would say, what's your major, economics? Oh, that's interesting. What, what's your major, economics? Oh, that's What's your major, economics? It seemed like everybody was majoring in economics because they knew that Korea was poorer than it should be. Yeah, Korea, Korea knew at that point that it was not a third-world country,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that uh, it may appear as such, but it's really not. And I think there was a certain confidence that underwrote all of this economic development, that uh, we're not developing from an underdeveloped state to a developed state. Mm. We are developing back to the upper uh, upper level state that we know we are. Mm. And mm. so it was uh, sort of a recovery thing, not a developmental thing. And, and I haven't heard anybody say that, but I think that's the case, because uh, inherently within the Korean psyche, there's the sunbi. Mm. And the sunbi is the scholar. Mm-hmm. And um, in, in one of my YouTubes recently, I, was, I compared the sunbi to the samurai. And when the traditional order fell apart, mm. the samurai were samurai. And there's this case of the 47 ronin, yeah. uh, the masterless samurai that killed themselves a mass suicide because they couldn't survive in the modern world without a uh, without a master. And then you got the other samurai that led us to World War II, simply mm. put. Mm. Expansion into Korea, expansion into Manchuria, expansion into Southeast Asia and bang there's World War II. So what happened when the traditional world fell apart for Japan, the samurai samurai. Yes. How's that for a...
0: It's a good verb. verb. I like it. You're going to do the same with zombie? <laughs>
1: I'm going to be. I'm going to say the <laughs> Koreans yeah. yeah. Indeed. Uh, the Koreans, they didn't know what to do when the traditional world fell apart, but they knew they should study. Mm. And they knew that study was the key because study had always been the key. And they did not abandon study, but they held on to study. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, the impoverished Yangban of the late Joseon period became the impoverished yangban of the Japanese era, Mm. where some studied modern things and some held on to old traditional things. Mm. But study, study was still the key. And so (laughs) as the Japanese samurai the Koreans sunbead. Yes. And that's the difference between the two cultures.
0: And still today, when you talk about that confidence in a this restoration it's not developing it's going back to what it was if i show my 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 korean students at the university uh, this is a power of this is a chart of soft power here you can see in the world the global rankings korea is number seven or eight my students will look at me and go why are we not number one excuse me what's going on here And, and they will be sort of genuinely dumbfounded that korea isn't number one because that's that's what they kind of expect from their country and i think that's why sometimes the the incidents or the tragedies they hurt more because then they're not as perceived now you you talked about the zombie and and the differences between the samurai the pen is mightier than the sword and education today is still so fierce and competitive it needs to sort of i i think i love the education culture uh, and and what it produces but it, it perhaps needs some reform it's probably a good chance to, for us to turn into Confucianism because you've done a lot of work on Confucianism. And yeah. uh, when my when when international students come here to learn Korean studies, and I, I'm never really sure that I can get across in words this idea that when you walk into a room or if you're with Korean people, especially if you're speaking in Korean, there's a hierarchy, and and you need to work out okay in this room. I'm number one, so I have to lead the way, or maybe I'm a professor. In this room, I'm I'm number seven, so I just gotta sit here and shut up. But there is this, there's a hierarchy in the language and everything that goes with it. I'm not sure if that's Confucianism or if there's something else. You've given us the first line of the Analects. Um, That that dreadfully enigmatic word, Confucianism, where do we start understanding it?
1: Well, I think it's largely misunderstood and (laughs) overly worked such that it's uh, it's lost some of its meaning and it gets attacked for some things it doesn't deserve. Right, yeah. But it does deserve some of the uh, attack that it gets. Uh, my song and dance of late has been I wish Koreans understood Confucianism better. And by better, I mean specifically that old Confucianism in Korea, mm. up until the late 17th century, which is what I wrote my dissertation about. Mm. Up until the late 17th century, um, Confucianism was really quite egalitarian. Mm-hmm. And these egalitarian measures you can see were uh, equal inheritances. Mm-hmm. Sons and daughters, absolutely equal inheritances. Uh, you look at these inheritance documents and you don't find that some subtle, the, the boys got all the strong men and the girls got all the weak women or something. No, the divisions was uh, of the property of the slaves and the land was absolutely equal, hmm. uh, meticulously equal. Um, the ceremonies that are now considered part of the oppression of Confucianism because it's all in the hands of the eldest son of the eldest son of the eldest son, the, the Chong son, fun, the Chale And you go to the do the ceremonies at the uh, Kunchip. Mm. in the early uh, Chosun period, up through the middle Chosun period, there was no kunchip. It was all done on an equal basis. The men and the women carrying out the ceremonies equally, mm. Mm. taking their turns. And uh, I often tell Korean groups, I understand that as an American or as a Westerner because we get together for our chesa. we don't do chesa, but we get together in family units to celebrate mm holidays, mm-hmm. uh, Easter, Christmas, Labor Day, Memorial Day, Thanksgiving, uh, New Year's Day, and we have parties very often by family. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's with friends, but very often it's family, and if it's family, one day it's uh, at Emo's house, and the next day it's at Como's house, and yeah. the next day it's Chaganabaji's house, and it goes around, the next day it's at my house, and we all take turns in, in hosting yeah. the, the, the ceremonies. Well, that's the way it was in Korea in the old days. Marriage was very egalitarian. And this is one thing that many Koreans really misunderstand completely, and that is that it, it used to be that Koreans would changakada, which is to say that the man would go live in his wife's house. Uh, Koreans always talk about shijipkada. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny when you're learning the language, you learn kyoronhada, okay, you get married, mm-hmm. and then you learn there's shijipkada and changakada. And if you don't, if you're not careful listening in class, a man might say, Shijib uh, shijip I got married last year. Well, mm-hmm. a man does not shijip kada. That's only a woman's word, mm-hmm. and a woman does not changa kada. But uh, the words meant something in the old days. These days, uh, people understand shijip kada because you go to the. She Abaji Ji house. Hmm. But they don't understand that the Koreans in the old days would changakada, that the man would go and live in the woman's house. Hmm. And there are numerous cases of it. Yul Gok on the 5001 note was born in his mother's home. Hmm. And uh, if you ask any Korean where Yul Gok was born, they'll say Ochukon, and that was the home of Shin Saimdong. They all know that. But they don't know that uh, Ochukon was not built by Shin Saemdong and her father or her family it was built by her mother's family, and she got it from her mother's family. It was, achu, bless me. It was a, uh, uh, it was passed down from mother's lines for four generations before Yul was born there, hmm. which means that men were changaka, they were going to the wife's house to hmm. live. So my point is. Uh, Confucianism can survive in an egalitarian society. And the great masters of Korean Confucianism, Tege and Yul Gok, lived in an egalitarian society. Uh, I'm a little hesitant to use that word because it wasn't fully egalitarian in that women could not hold government office.
0: There would have been lots of slaves as well, would there not?
1: And there would have been a lot of slaves. I, I'm using the term egalitarian in mm-hmm. the sense of equal... Uh, Ownership of property and equal economic activity yep. for the yangban class. Mm-hmm. Um, so Confucianism can exist in a egalitarian-looking place. Yep. It does not have to have all of the oppressive aspects of the patrilineal order, or what many people like to call the patriarchal order. Mm-hmm. I think that's a misuse of the term. It's more Patrilineal. Uh, uh, the Korean has a better term. They call it puge mm-hmm. sahwe. And what Koreans don't understand very often is that before there was puge mm-hmm. uh, Sahue, they understand there were some non-patrilineal aspects of society. Every every Korean understands that, but they t- tend to have a half-baked idea that Confucianism settled in in the Chosun period, and they made it became patrilineal, and the puge Sawe took over. And that's not at all true. The 500 years of the Chosun dynasty, the first 300 were more egalitarian, mm-hmm. and the last 200 were this oppressive, pugesahwe male-dominated society. So uh, I look at it this way, that uh, Confucianism, when it came into Korea, was in the late Three Kingdoms period. Mm-hmm. And through Unified Shila, through the Koryo period, and through the first three centuries of Chosun, it was rather egalitarian, and I like to call this Korean-style Confucianism, because they purposely ignored the uh, male dominance that was written into the texts. Mm -hmm. Confucius lived in a patrilineal society, and he assumed that all societies were patrilineal, I guess, because he wrote about how the eldest son should do this, the eldest son should should do that, because the eldest son was doing everything. Mm. But Koreans ignored this eldest son business. When it said the eldest son should get all the property or the eldest son should do all the ceremonies, Koreans said, well, no, that's not what we do. The Shila dynasty, Koryo dynasty, early Chosun, that's that's not what we do. We do it Korean style, which was more egalitarian and open. Well, in the late Chosun period, uh, for, due to a number of factors, I think population pressure was as great a factor as anything. But there's also the maturation of the study of Confucius mm-hmm. which meant now we're going to start doing things the way Confucius talked about it with dominance by the men uh, I see that as a sellout to the Chinese and at the same time we see what Koreans often complain about about Chinese relationship with Sade Jui yeah. and they, and so I see this sellout to Chinese style Confucianism as part of Sade Jui And the reason this is important today is, on my YouTube channel I see a lot of comments of I hate Confucianism, Mm -hmm. I hate the uh, patriarchal, patrilineal order. Uh, Chokpo is a useless waste of time. Uh, Ancestor ceremonies are a waste of time and money, and the Chongson should not be dominating. Uh, I see these criticisms of Confucianism as attempting to throw it out Completely. Baby and bathwater. Yeah. And I see this as uh, throwing out the baby with the bathwater, exactly. That uh, uh, there's a baby in that bathwater. And if you look at at it closely, that baby, Confucianism, teaches you much of what you are. And the ideas of uh, uh, loyalty, Mm. filial piety. Koreans say, Inwi Yeji. benevolence, justice, uh, ceremony, Mm. and intelligence. Mm. These are all part of the Confucian tradition that uh, frankly you couldn't throw it out if you wanted to. And you don't want to throw it out. Uh, Confucius was one of the great masters of the world. He's one of the great teachers. Mm -hmm. Name me the five greatest teachers of the world and you're gonna say Confucius, Buddha, Jesus, maybe Lao Tzu, maybe Moses, maybe Mohammed, mm-hmm. but Confucius is there, and uh, Koreans need to hold on to their Confucianism, but they ought to do it in the way they used to do it, in a more open and egalitarian uh, fashion. That's my song and dance on Confucianism.
0: I'm glad you mentioned Lao Tzu, uh, who, who wrote the Tao Te Ching. Uh, yeah. I was always a doubt because I, I studied them during my masters and PhD, and I, I was always drawn towards the Taoism. I, oh, you're I, a Taoist. I, I at loved heart. it. Yeah, I think, yeah. So. I, I think I'm
1: just a hippie, you know. But, uh, well, I was going to say Taoism was 2,000 years old hippie.
0: Yeah, so that's, I, I think that's why I'm drawn to it. But reading the Analects, this, this baby in Bathwater idea, reading the Analects, I, I don't come away from them deciding that I want to oppress people. Quite the opposite. Quite the I read opposite. The, qu- quite the opposite. I read them and I find. I want to become a better person. I want to treat people better. I want to study more. I want to be humble. I It doesn't. And, and so, you know, democracy can lead to bad results or capitalism can lead to equality, but perhaps it doesn't have to. And that's the same with Confucianism. Exactly. It's maybe how it's interpreted. But I think spending time with the Analects or spending time with Mengde or Mencius, that it doesn't. Or it doesn't have to lead to oppression.
1: And the king was a good guy in Korea because he was so uh, heavily uh, indoctrinated in Confucianism. Mm. And the kings, uh, Sejong was not the only one talked about the the people. They were concerned about the, the, the people, mm-hmm. uh, much more so than the uh, Chinese kings were. Mm. The Chinese emperors uh, were famously licentious and, and uh very careless about the the regard for the people. Now my Chinese friends might get upset about that, but the Chinese uh, royalty was never as considerate of the people as the Korean royalty was. Mm-hmm. And the Korean royalty was considerate of the people because they had to listen to lectures three times a day on Confucianism. Mm-hmm. And they get these ideals pounded into their heads from the time that they're the crown prince, from the time they're three or four years old till they die and uh the one king that said i'm not going to do this anymore mm. was Yansan. Mm. Yansan gun he was he was deposed because he wasn't going to play the game uh even kwanghae gun who was deposed played the game he he was a fairly decent confucian king what
0: was the game sorry
1: the game yeah. is to be a good confucian king to be respectful and mm. to take your duties as a uh king who is good to the people cuz you're part of the you're part of the system mm-hmm. you're you're the the goodness of enueji mm-hmm. mm-hmm. pertains to you not just you telling the people about it yeah. so uh yeah the the korean
0: kings were not were not bad dudes
1: uh <laughs> unlike a lot of kings in a lot of other countries
0: I'm. I'm not sure if the podcast has many Chinese listeners. I looked at some statistics once, and it was pretty global. But I did. I'm not sure if I did see any. I'm not, I'm not sure if it gets past the Great Firewall of China. Yeah, the well, Korea it... deconstructed. Could we. Could we talk about please the the relationship between Korea and China? I just read a fascinating book that was published last year on uh, six hundred years relations between Korea and China. I forget the author. It was a Danish name. Uh, I believe his name was Odd. Is he,
1: I'm, oh, oh i know who you mean he's at harvard i think
0: i, I believe so yeah. and his name has the word odd or strange in it yeah and, and that's why i've forgotten it so yeah do and i've
1: forgotten me. it too but i i know who you mean
0: yeah but what i want to ask here is many people will talk about not just Tangun, but there was giza and and sometimes i've had people ask me david was was Choson or was korea in back in the day was it a was it you know a vassal state was it really independent was it chinese was what was the relationship, in your sense, honestly, between Korea and China during that?
1: Well, uh, it's unfortunate that these days the Chinese are being such jerks. <laughs> They're being jerks about it. Certain people online
0: are, I would suggest. Yeah. Online communication is always very, yeah. yeah.
1: But uh, the idea is that uh, arguing that Korea was a vassal state is uh, a real corruption of the ideas. Uh, the Korea uh, was always Korea. And uh, Koreans knew they were Korean because they spoke Korean. Mm -hmm. And they didn't speak Chinese. They knew they used Chinese because they saw Chinese as uh, an older culture. And they knew that they had bought into that culture. Mm -hmm. And they knew that the exams that they were giving were given in Chinese. But they didn't see themselves as any less Korean because of it, any more than a Frenchman... Englishman or a German in the old days were studying Latin they didn't think of themselves as Italians mm-hmm. they just thought of themselves as studying the the great classics and that was all in Latin mm. and you know all the great universities you know Oxford is proud to be a thousand-year-old university uh, but they were studying Latin back then I mm-hmm. didn't mean they were Italians it means they were studying Latin certainly not <laughs> yeah and uh, the Koreans similarly I think it's a very parallel analogy because uh, Koreans argued at court. I've I've spent some time in the shilok. Mm. And in the shilok, you see uh, discussions with the king and you see argument among people at court uh, who will very often argue different sides of a case and the king has to make the decision. Mm. But uh, very often at court, it was a fairly common kind of argument. How common? I can't say if it happened once a year or once a month, but every now and again, people at court would say, well, yeah, you say that because the Chinese do that, but we're not Chinese, we don't have to do that. Mm. And they drew several uh, lines uh, in the sand about what was Chinese and what was not Chinese about themselves. Uh, One of the great misunderstandings, uh, the term vassal state Maybe can mean an independent vassal state, but it often implies a subservient mm-hmm. state. And the Cre- Koreans did not see themselves as subservient to China in any way, shape, or form. Uh, they may have been a little less happy when the uh, when the Manchus took over for a time, but eventually Koreans asserted their independence from the Manchu. Uh, uh, connection as well. Mm. But I think the key to understand Korea, the way I understand Korea and looking at at China, is to look at uh, the tribute system.
0: The tributary, yeah. Yeah,
1: and the tributary system is often called the tribute trade, and that's a more accurate term because if you say tribute and you think of the Roman conquerors Mm -hmm. or Alexander the Great or uh, whoever the old world, when they exacted tribute, mm. it was usually 50% of what you owned. We'll take half. You, you get to keep the other half. Mm. Be, be grateful we don't kill you. Uh, but the Chinese weren't that way. Uh, the Chinese demanded tribute, but they also saw themselves in a, a tributary relationship where they had to reciprocate. Mm-hmm. And by statute, by agreement, Koreans were required to send tribute to China every Xingyan. The Xingyan is the ceremonial year, mm. which is one every once every three years. In the ceremonial year, uh, they would do three things. They mm. would send a tribute to China, mm. they would uh, have an examination mm. uh, opportunity for people to take the exams, and they would do a census. These things were all on the triennial uh,
0: uh, calendar. Is it three because it's three and four of those equals 12, or is there a reason for the three? Or- I think, I, I'm not sure. I think it was, uh, um,
1: it was just the way they did it. It was an appropriate year.
0: The great philosopher uh, De La Soul said three is the magic number. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was it.
1: And so they had to send tribute to China once every three years. Mm. How often did they send tribute to China? Three times every year. Oof. Nine times in a three-year period. Mm. They were required to send tribute once every three years. They sent nine tribute missions in a three-year period. What in the world is going on? Who wants to pay taxes at nine times the, mm. the given rate? Well, it wasn't taxes. This tribute was not tax. It mm. was a show of uh, mutual support and admiration. Uh, the Koreans outwardly admired China for all of its scholarship and tradition, the Confucianism, the Buddhism, and all of this. And so they sent off a tribute mission, but the Chinese were very magnanimous. They reciprocated. And at one point the Chinese said, would you please quit sending so many tribute missions? You're, you're, you're breaking the budget here for us. Uh, but the Koreans loved to send the tribute mission because they not only sent tribute, they had the side uh, trade that was going on. And so if a uh, uh, official were uh, given the honor of uh, attached, uh, being attached to a tribute mission. He would also take a couple of mules of his own loaded with things of his own, and he'd trade those off for things that were even better and bring them back, and he, he could greatly improve his uh, uh, wealth and status by a good tribute mission to China. So uh, when you look at, at uh, the tribute, tributary relationship, I think it's best to include the word trade. This was the tribute trade. And it was beneficial for both sides. I think that describes the Korean relationship with China better than anything else. And I think the arguments at court saying we are not Korean or we are not Chinese—we're Korean. Yes, we should do this in a Chinese way. No, we should not do that in a Chinese way. So those those debates were very much alive at the court. So uh, Koreans were deciding their own fate. They were deciding how Chinese they wanted to be. And in this regard, let me anticipate your next question, or let me ask myself the question that I want to ask, and that is, what's going on today? And today, uh, the, uh, the Chinese are abusing their wealth and power all over the place. Uh, they say that uh, there's no one more obnoxious than a Chinese tourism group at the, at the palace, that they uh, don't behave respectfully and they're loud and such. Sorry, Chinese, I'm blasting on the Chinese again, but uh,
0: there's only a billion of them. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs>
1: but you know, uh, the 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 Koreans reciprocate that arrogance by disliking the Chinese these days. Yes. And the point I want to make is, when I came here in 1965, and when I studied in the 70s, when I worked here uh, in the early 80s, uh, the ambiance was respect for China. Uh, China was a had, had fallen into this corrupt communist state mm-hmm. that had sent soldiers to fight in the Korean War, and that the China now, at that time, was this communist Chinese aberration. Mm-hmm. But China originally, the true China, the real China, the China of Confucius and of Mencius and of the Han Dynasty and of the Tang Dynasty, that China was to be admired you know, uh, all over the place, and the 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 scholars that I worked with now, maybe they more than ordinary people uh, would speak with great respect and and reverence even mm-hmm. for for China. China was big brother, and uh, uh, not in the Orwellian sense, but in a Confucian sense of a good leader, a, a provider of culture, mm-hmm. a provider of uh, civilization. Uh, here, here's one thing, sort of on the negative side of the ledger, perhaps, is that Koreans talked about not being Chinese enough and not being civilized until they reached a certain point. And they talked, the Chosun Dynasty scholars talked about how they had achieved Moon Myung, uh, civilization, by copying the Chinese. And uh, that was literacy. Uh, you know, what, what is, what is Moon Myung? What is civilization? Mm. Uh, well, it's partially moonhua culture, and it's partially moon mm. It's all kinds of moon. Nature, and the moon was Chinese characters. Mm. And so they saw themselves culturally as aff- affiliates of China. Uh, uh, picture the poor Korean king and the poor scribes of the king speaking in Korean and writing it down in Chinese. Uh, and the the grammar is completely backwards. It's a completely different sort of uh, approach. So the Koreans were in a real box because they, they saw the superiority of the moon. And the moon is the literature, and it's the moon hawk, and it's the moon myung, and it's the moon hua. All these things are moon. And they saw that as all Chinese. So it was a matter of gratitude to the Chinese, not a matter of being oppressed by the Chinese. Mm.
0: It's... Uh, Fascinating to hear that back in the day there would be more reverence for China because it astounds me that anti-Chinese rhetoric these days in South Korea can be part of civil discourse. Yeah. And uh, of course in the United Kingdom there's anti whatever rhetoric <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we've seen Brexit but it wouldn't be considered part of civil discourse it wouldn't be accepted you know in impolite anti French is sort of it, not nice uh, yeah ex prime minister Liz trust decided to say something about that but so there are always examples that will disprove my point but i've been surprised by how public and open anti chinese discourse can be in the modern age i've as, been surprised
1: as well yeah and it, it's unfortunate uh but the Chinese have done it to themselves.
0: and you know I, I guess when we talk about China, it could be Mongol, China, it could be Manchu, China, it is many different Chinas yeah, and lots yeah. of different rulers and and times there. The president in the last presidential debates, you talked about Sadeju, which is serving the greater power the The presidential candidates were asked to rank their preference of the neighboring countries: China, America, Japan, and North Korea. Oh, you imagine that? And you can you you know along political lines which which way they argued, yeah, you know, because yeah. that kind of still still matters to some some degree today. It's,
1: I didn't know those rankings. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah,
0: and the Conservative Party, the, the current president, put China very low down, and. The, the opposite side, uh, the Democratic Party, they put North Korea and China higher. Uh, and, and America, America and Japan lower, lower yeah. So yeah. those those kind of, which I think what I'm trying to express in this point is sometimes when we talk about Korea and China, we we do take it as a monolith. But even in Korea, there would have been Yi hang on, there would have been Yu Gil-jun and there would have been people that wanted to, you know, not go with the barbarians, the, yeah. the, the outside, the Western ways, the, the Yamanin yeah. or the Oranke. The, yeah. They wanted to go back to the traditional Chinese ways. There's yeah. all these different perspectives on it, isn't yeah. there? While, we, while we're still in history, um, one thing that, I mean, you're from the United States, sir, and, and you will notice the the questions about race and slavery, and, and they dominate uh, a lot of the discourse there.
1: Still today, is, America has not gotten over slaveholding. All right, it's it's still a part of the national uh, consciousness, the national guilt, yes, the national uh, trying to uh, ignore the guilt, while other people say no, the guilt is still there. Yeah, it's a tremendous thing.
0: It's part of the discourse, and and my question here is about slavery, or even whether that's the right word. We looked at vassal and tributary trade uh, for the relationship with China. Now, in books such as maybe Gregory Henderson's work from 1965, he would put statistics that the Joseon dynasty would have about 40 percent of the population would be slaves. So coming up to nearly half of the population would be slaves. And yet South Korea or in modern day, there will never be much conversation about slavery of its own people. All the ills will be placed on Japan or, or other things, but it often got me wondering. You know, is it? it it's a terrible question. Is it? Is it more reprehensible to enslave uh, another people or your own people? I'm not sure. I really yeah. want to go down. But what's your understanding? Your take on slavery in Korean society up to the 1900s? Because that's where it existed basically until.
1: The Korean attitude tends to be very gentle on themselves about yeah. slavery. Yeah. And uh, that's best symbolized by the fact that uh, Korean slavery is called mm-hmm. no bi chedo, where everybody else's slavery is called mm-hmm. no ye chedo.
0: What's the difference between nobi and noye? Sorry, I don't. I, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, no, I know both words, but yeah, I wasn't sure. That.
1: No, uh, I, I'm joking when I say I don't know because I've looked at it a lot, and yeah, I yeah. can tell you a lot of differences between nobi chedo and noye cheddo. But uh, what I come up with uh-huh. that most of my Korean friends are not happy with uh-huh. is that I see more similarities than differences. I have a, a Korean sokdam that I like to use, which is tae dong so e mostly the same and not much different. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think the idea that Koreans have no B, and Americans and everybody else has no yeah, is pure ethnocentrism on the part of Koreans saying that their slavery is not really slavery. Well, their slavery is really slavery. And people were bought and sold They were moved around at the owner's will. Um, There is something to be said on the Koreans are the good guy side, and that is that slaves and commoners intermarried at a very high rate. Mm -hmm. Uh, In other words, the difference between a slave and a commoner was minimal. Uh, But uh, a commoner had his own land, was not obliged to pay taxes or rent to his owner. Um, the, the issue of slavery is further complicated by the idea that there were resident slaves and out slaves, uh, non-resident slaves. A resident slave would be uh, available at the beck and call of the owner to uh, do household duties and, and uh, near-house farm duties whereas non-resident slaves were the majority of slaves, and they lived in different places, and their only obligation was to pay a certain amount of rent, uh, almost as if they were uh, tenant farmers mm. paying some of the sharecropping uh, uh, tax. And uh, what happened with slavery in Korea was that it it died a natural death. Uh, people talk about uh, slavery ending in... 1894 with the Japanese-inspired Kabo reforms, but it was pretty well dead already. Uh, the number of slaves—I don't think Greg Henderson understood this. I don't think any, any of us understood it well in 1965, but a, a figure of 40 percent of the population of slaves uh, is probably true for the beginning of the Choson dynasty. It definitely is not true for the end of the Choson dynasty. Um, in fact, it might be a little conservative for the beginning. Uh, there might have been as high as fifty percent slaves at the beginning of the Chosin Dynasty, but uh, over time, uh, slaves uh, who are, you know, living in a marginal economy, a subsistence economy, uh, whereas the owners are living in, in a little bit more luxury or better off, the uh, owners of course would have more children, and the slaves would have fewer children over over time, and so the uh, Yangban population is going to grow, and it did. And I think the Yangban population at the beginning of the Joseon dynasty was more like 10%, maybe as low as 5% of the true Yangban uh, aristocrats that held power. Uh, but that group grew over time uh, through natural uh, birth rates, uh, there, there was not a lot of social class mobility. Mm. It was minimal that a, a commoner could uh, get his way into the lower reaches of the Yangban class. That, that just didn't happen very much. And if you look at uh, marriage, uh, there was no marriage between the Yangban, Yangban class and the commoner class. And there's nothing that defines class better than who you marry, because you marry within your class. Mm. And if you're marrying, uh, if you've got a household with different siblings marrying at different levels of society, that tells you that you're at those various levels of society. Uh, but to, today, too, the, the wealthy intermarry with the wealthy, and uh, the British are famous for the peerage system, and, you know, uh, Meghan was not of the royal class, and that was a scandal and all of this nonsense. But in the uh, old days, Yangban would never marry a, a, a commoner. The exception being uh, for a secondary wife. Mm-hmm. And Martina Doikler rightly insists that we don't call them concubines, but we call them secondary wives. That is to say, they didn't have full status that a regular wife would have. Uh, beginning of the Choson dynasty, they came up with some very rigid laws that you could only have one Primary wife in the Koryo dynasty, you could have more than one wife. In fact, some women had more than one husband. Uh, polyandry was an option in the in the Koryo period, but the Chosin dynasty uh, tightened the 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 laws a lot, mm. and one could only have one uh, legitimate wife. In my dissertation, I talk about a guy who uh, claimed three wives as all full status, and he was reprimanded by the king and criticized by the court. And he was one of the last people to claim more than one wife as full status. And it became part of the, the culture that you had only one real wife. Now, if real wife dies, you can have a second real wife. And if second uh, real wife dies, you can have third real wife, but only in succession. Any uh, doubling up of wivery, was the, uh, uh, the lesser wife, the secondary wife. Now, uh, a young Yangban could have a, uh, a secondary wife who was a commoner, and a secondary wife who was a, a slave. Um, but uh, only one primary wife. So the, the marriage relationship is interesting because among American slaves uh, as well, you very often have the mulatto.
2: Mm.
1: The mulatto is the white uh, mix of uh, the owner, or more often the slave driver. In American slavery, uh, a large slave plantation owner, the, the owner was very hands-off, and the management of the slaves was left to the foreman, the, the slave driver, who very often would uh, cohabitate with the pretty young slave girl who would bear a child. And the, uh, the mulatto was the liminal status, are they slave or are they non-slave? Well, Mm -hmm. most of them were slaves, and uh, uh, some would try to get freedom on the basis of their father's uh, status, like the children of uh, Thomas Jefferson, for example. But uh, in Korea, you also have a liminal status between if a yangban man has a slave concubine or even a commoner concubine, that child is now called a soja, and a soja has limitations on their status. Uh, some soja could survive and pass off as yangban. Some fell into commoner status, and some even fell into slave status. So the, the status hierarchy and the status structure of Korea was very, very complicated. And at the heart of it is the status of the slave. Hmm. And by the end of the Chosen period, the idea that I wanted to get to about slavery dying a natural death. Hmm is there were a number of slaves that started running off. And the slave owner would keep a record of runoff slaves. And very often a a census document, a man would have 20 slaves, 10 of which had run off, but he was keeping the record of them, hoping to get them back at some point, but maybe not really hoping to get them back because um, as it turns out, economically, uh, slavery is a very poor system because you have to take care of non-productive people. Mm. You have children who you have to feed and clothe and house, and you have old folks that can't work for you, and you can't be so brutal as to send the old guy with gout in his knees so bad that he can barely walk. You can't send him out to do much work. You might have him do some work around the house, but he's not gonna be very useful to you. He's not gonna be uh, producing Uh, his own food uh, at that level, perhaps. And children don't produce their own food. And so you've got, uh, slavery is a very inefficient system when compared to uh, uh, wage economy.
0: Morality aside in the obvious uh, reprehensible nature of slavery that we know today, is that one of the reasons why it, it simply was inefficient, or it didn't work? Is that do you get a sense of that? I I, I don't say that flippantly, by the way, because no. normally what survives is that which is useful.
1: Yeah. No, I think. Yeah. No, I'm speaking of a purely a utilitarian way, which I think is the way it was looked at. Uh-huh. And um, uh, there are very very few. There's a little bit of writing about uh, the morality of slaves and the morality of this. Uh, Hierarchical situation, but most people saw hierarchy as the way things are, Mm -hmm. and it's reinforced by the way things are. You know, there there are good people that are prominent and smart and successful, and there are people that are slugs and they're not successful, and it's just obvious that you know there should be yangban and there should be slaves. I think that the, the The idea of all men being equal is really a radical idea Mm. that didn't occur to most Korean writers at all. So you've got these slaves that would run off to work in the factories, and uh, the slave owner couldn't do much about it. And so slavery started to winnow down. When you look at the census documents from the 18th and 19th century, like I have, Mm. uh, you see Slavery is just falling apart all over the place. So when you get to the supposed great liberation at the hands of the Japanese, Yobaseo was almost already done already. And so this 40 or 50 percent slave population that Henderson would talk about had dwindled down to where I think it was 20 percent, maybe 30 percent at the highest. Mm. Uh, may have been as low as 10 percent. Uh, and you, saw, you see in the, in the census documents, people who were a slave in a previous document are now they're, uh, they're Kim somebody. They didn't have a name, a surname before. Cause that's one of the hallmarks of a slave. Now they're a Kim somebody. Mm-hmm. They're, a, they're a commoner. They're an E somebody. So, uh, yeah, slavery is a very complicated kind of, kind of issue.
0: I, I think I understand it even less now, but <laughs> thank you for that. I, well,
1: I, I, I think I will I think destroy some of, the, some of the stereotypes that people have of slavery. I, uh, I think one of the stereotypes of slavery is that Americans were really cruel and brutal and awful in their slaveholding uh, practices. And that's not true either, because uh, uh, Koreans like to say, well, no, our, we were good to our slaves. They were like a member of the family. Yeah, she's working in the kitchen. She's a member of the family, but in in American slavery too, you have Mammy, who was a wet nurse, mm. and she's nursing your children. You know how can how can anything be any closer than that? And Mammy's in the kitchen uh, when she's not wet nursing the latest child. The the eight-year-old is in stealing cookies, and you get out of here. You can't have cookies till dinner time. He, mm. She she had authority. She wasn't just someone who could be pushed around at all, at all costs. And, and the key about American slavery is it's, it was different from Caribbean slavery. Caribbean slavery was absolutely brutal. They drove slaves until uh, they dropped, and then they, they, they didn't mind killing them if they could buy a new one. Uh, American slavery was very different after 1801, because at that point, uh, you could not import new slaves. The only way you could get slaves was, well, there are two ways you could smuggle them in. There was some slave smuggling that took place from the Caribbean. Mm. But uh, the only legitimate way you could get a slave was to breed your slaves. And to breed your slaves, you're not gonna be beating them and selling them off. You're gonna be cultivating family units and and be happy, young slaves, and breed and bring me some more slaves. So there was a certain uh, degree to which American slavery is mischaracterized as totally brutal. Mm. Certainly after 1801 it was more humane, and then then it brings you to the question of which slavery is more humane, the Korean slavery or the American slavery. Well, in the popular mind, well, the American slavery was just awful, forget it, and the Korean slavery was so nicey-nicey. I don't believe that was the case. Mm. I think that the brutality of the Korean slavery was rather brutal, and I think the brutality of the American slavery was by case exceptions, uh, brutal, but in, in the main was rather uh, humane for the sake of uh, raising more slaves to keep the slave population going. But you see uh, documents showing huge variations of slaveholding from generation to generation, from year to year, even. These three-year census documents uh, you, uh, there was one of them that I studied, and slave holding went from 12 to 18 to 24. Business is good, and they had 52 slaves one year, and uh, the next registration they had 53 slaves. Well, they increased one slave. No, you read the documents. They increased 18 slaves. They got rid of 17 slaves and picked up 18 new slaves. So there's some slave trading that is going on, mm-hmm. and and that fits. It's a it's a market issue. And if you've got uh, a bad year, uh, you're going to have to sell off some slaves. You know, a real bad year, you need to eat and you need to maintain your lifestyle. And um, um, the the slave holding went up and down over the, over the years. Mm. There was an active slave market in Korea that most Koreans don't like to talk
0: about or admit. I, I feel very fortunate that I live... And have grown up in a world where I don't have to consider the morality of slavery, where it seems absolutely second nature that it's not part of the yeah. the economic system, the legal system. And I remember reading Adam Hochtauld's book, King Leopold's Ghost, and that was about the Belgium slavery in the oh. Congo and oh. uh, that some of the the, the worst slavery that that you will hear of this is slightly off point but did you know Gregory Henderson because it took me so long to get his book The Politics of the Vortex you don't know how long I spent trying to get hold of that book <laughs> really
1: but, uh, yeah I know Greg uh, uh, Greg when I first went to Harvard was a uh, pompous old Harvard mm. figure mm. who uh, spoke with a rather new england kind of english a kind of accent and, mm. and uh, spoke of proper things and it, it really kind of a, a pompous person when you first meet him but uh, after getting to know him a bit he he, he had a nice side to him he, he he was always concerned about your your background and your heritage and, mm. oh you're from utah you know <laughs> or are you one of those mormons you know it was it was that kind of a Uh, all snobby, old New England style about him. But I got to know him, and and he was quite a nice fellow once you get to know him. Uh, I rode in the car with him from Washington to Boston one year. Uh, Is that a long drive? Forgive me. Uh, uh, It was two days. (laughs) That's why Uh, I asked. A day and a half, really, but we had to stay overnight along the way, and uh, uh, the reason we did it was we were at an Asian studies conference in Washington, and he was returning home to Boston, and he just aired it out among a few people at a cocktail hour, I suppose, that his, plan, his, his ride mate had dropped out on him, and he would be driving home alone, and he didn't want to drive home alone, fearing he might fall asleep at the wheel. Mm-hmm. And I had, uh, I, I had an airplane ticket to, to fly to Boston, and I threw it away just to ride with this heirloom of a creature Greg Henderson.
0: What was the age gap between you? It, was, it, was, it oh, sounds yeah. like it was quite. Oh, he was old enough
1: to be my father. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. He, at least a generation difference between us, and so, uh, but I took that opportunity because I I thought it'd be fun to, you know, meet the guy and talk with him and uh, ride for two days in a car and talk about stuff, so I got to meet him quite, uh, 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 got to know him quite well. Mm. He had a sad uh, death. Uh, uh, he had a sad career. you know. He got bounced from the Foreign Service for being too sympathetic to Koreans. So he, he took their part in anti POC sentiment, mm. which got him bounced out of the Foreign Service. And he didn't have a PhD, he had an MBA, and so he couldn't really get uh, into the faculty system at Harvard, he was always adjunct and on the side. And as a result, he had money, I don't know what his money was from, uh, uh, one of our other colleagues at, at Harvard was uh, Heinz Ketchup Money, uh, I think affiliated with, uh, uh, with uh, what's his name, Kerry, uh, with John Kerry. But uh, no, I don't know what uh, Greg's money was in, but he had money. Mm. Uh, but it, it, he didn't have a lot of money. He didn't live in a really exorbitant house. He lived in a three-story sort of ordinary New England home. And I visited home a, a couple of times and uh, you know we'd host student groups there, various kinds. But he, he had a most unfortunate death. His three-story house uh, was in the, a wooded area and the, the uh, gutters on the house would get all full of leaves. Mm-hmm. And he was up cleaning the, the gutters and fell off the ladder. And it didn't kill him immediately. It was one of these things where it breaks a bunch of bones and then it just takes you forever and you never really recover. So I, I, I'm very sort of sympathetic to Greg. A, l- a lot of other people in my field are, are not because they see him as sort of a, uh, oh, uh, for lack of a better word, a failure, mm-hmm. who, who sort of backdoor academic who really didn't make it as an academic, didn't make it as a diplomat. But uh, he was a nice guy, and I was grateful to spend a two-day trip in the car and get to know him.
0: I feel like I got to know him a little bit, Just a little bit. <laughs> through that conversation. I do want to ask you about like other historians and, and, and figures in the, the Korean studies field. But before perhaps we get there, we've spoken about Confucianism. We've spoken about the history, the marriage, the slavery, the family systems, the economics. Just to perhaps put a bookend on that conversation about Confucianism. Does it still exist today in 2022? Like we're here together in Hongdae. This is probably like the the vibingest place of uh, the city, or it suddenly used to be. But does Confucianism still, does it still have a hold? Does it still play a role? Do you still see it here, or is it, is it different?
1: Yes, it, it, it's, it, it's changing. It's being uh, criticized more. It's being repudiated left and right but it's being taught in the schools. <laughs> and what I'm getting at is mm-hmm. in the grade school and I think through the junior high, maybe even high school, I'm not sure, uh, there's a, a two-hour block each day in most school situations where the students study Gumin uh, Yuli, National Ethics. Mm-hmm. And National Ethics w- went through a great debate, uh, and it still does from time to time. What What is the curriculum? and uh, it started off as being just pure Confucianism. Mm. And the Christians and the Buddhists said, well, no, there's uh, the golden rule, and there's other things. And so they've incorporated those things, in. so it's kind of a hodgepodge, a be a, a be a good guy kind of stuff. But at the, at the heart of it, it's still Hyo, honoring your parents. Filial piety, yeah. Chung, uh, loyal to the state. Yine Ye Ji, benevolence, justice, uh, ritual and and knowledge, uh, uh, those four things. Uh, I, I I say in Korean, and, and I know it in Chinese. Run uh, Li Edger, you know, it's it's uh, Chinese as well. Uh, but that's still taught, and so you know, on the one hand, a person can pan uh, Confucianism; on the other hand, he's uh, practicing it. Uh, one of my examples of this is, I'm talking with someone uh, who's telling me how bad Confucianism is and doesn't fit to society today, and I say, well, okay, uh, that's interesting talking to you today, uh, uh, let's meet next week and talk some more about it. And he looks at his calendar and says, oh, I can't do it next week, I'm going to the countryside to do ceremonies next week. <laughs> so it, it sort of cuts both ways in, in many different areas where it's panned and, and criticized or it's lionized and protected, There's still pro-Confucianists, openly pro-Confucianists out there. But, uh, and then there are the accommodationists. Uh, one of the men that I admire most, uh, who is a chongson uh, and an, a, a holder of the Confucian tradition, uh, when you talk with him, he has different ways of accommodating and Confucianism is not the relationships of the people and all the stuff. You you talk about Confucianism as relationships, mm-hmm. and he talks about it being a relationship to the environment, and he sees environmentalism mm-hmm. as respect for nature as a part of Confucianism. So there are people that are trying to save Confucianism by giving it a different wrinkle and a different color uh, these days, so yeah, it's still around. And again, my song and dance is, hey, you don't have to be hierarchical and you can still be Confucian. Koreans can accept uh, Confucianism on an egalitarian footing the way they used to, Mm. the way they did for a 1,000 years. I I see this uh, Confucian split as a corruption of the last 300 years. I see this hierarchical Confucianism as oppressive, male-dominated Confucianism as a corruption of Confucianism, of Korean Confucianism. The Chinese were always that way, you know. They they'll, they will can't clean up their Confucianism because it's always been part of a, a patrilineal system, but the Koreans don't have to accept the patrilineal part of it,
0: And My then alo- view. Alongside that, I guess, comes the issues of gender, you have, the, which has become such a hot topic of conversation yeah. these yeah. days, and, and many people will point to uh, the Confucian idea of uh, yeah. which is the, the difference between a man and a woman and, and throughout most Confucian relationships there is that idea of byol, yeah. of differentiation so for example you and I the, in a western setting although I, I still respect you immensely and call you all the right names uh, but in a western setting we, we could exist on equal terms yeah. uh, man to man person to person individual to individual we couldn't do that in Korea in Korean yeah, we would yeah. we would be differentiated by by age, by rank, by status.
1: By which school you went to and what your job is and who you're working for and how much money you make and what kind of car you drive. All these yeah, status yeah. markers are still very, very important in Korea. Um, I, I still hold hopes that Korea, as it strives for an egalitarian society, can get away from those kinds of things. Mm. And there, there's hope out there, uh, you're a British gentleman, and I'm an American gentleman, and uh, I grew up r- rather poor, frankly. Uh, I have some distinguished ancestors. One of my uh, ancestors was one of the first pioneers in Utah and was a rather noble guy. But uh, most of my pioneers were, were dirt poor farmers and miners. My, my grandfather, my father's father, died in the flu epidemic of 1918. He died in 1919, actually. But he was a miner, a hard rock miner from Sweden. He had immigrated from Sweden. So, you know, I have this tradition of the emigrant side of my family and the uh, long-range, semi-aristocratic line of the American post-Mayflower people. I have one line that goes back that way. But uh, I came from a rather poor background. And I don't know what your background is in England, but I know that some English are very... Uh, proud of their tradition, their heritage, and they're very good at looking down their snout at other people. And, and other Brits are very uh, good at being spunky and you know mm-hmm. uh, putting down the, the, those that look down their snout at them. Uh, in Korea, uh, there are things that cross-cut. One of my favorite stories, my favorite examples, is uh, when I was Fulbright director here, uh, living in a nice house with a maid who helped take care of us, uh, 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 not a live-in maid, but a woman who would come in to work and clean and cook for us every day and help us with our hosting of larger groups Mm. and such. Uh, She came to me one day and said, uh, uh, could I have tomorrow off? And I said, oh, sure, you know, what's up? And she said, my uh, son is graduating from college. And uh, this was a woman who was functionally non-literate uh, if someone would call when uh, my wife or I weren't home and she would pick up the phone and she'd get a message, uh, she couldn't write down the name of the person. She couldn't tell me who called. It was Kim something maybe, you know. And, but she'd write down the number for me in a, a barely legible scrawl. Well, in those days, numbers were all three-digit prefix and four-digit number, seven different-digit numbers she handed me a piece of paper with six digits on it. <laughs> and uh, who do you call? You know, how do you, which numbers, you know, where's the missing number? Uh, this woman said, can I have the day off tomorrow? My son's graduating from school. And I, I oh, well, you know, what, what's he graduating in? Well, he's a doctor. He's getting his medical degree tomorrow. Boom, you yeah. know, and, and I, I knew that she had children in school, but I didn't know that he was in medical school when I discussed you know, her background a little with, with her. Uh, education cross cuts a lot of things, mm-hmm. and uh, Koreans are very glib today at saying the new Yangban is the rich man. Well, who's the rich man? It's the well-educated man, and there are all sorts of things that cross cut. I have a colleague uh, a woman who is very, very grew up very, very poor. Uh, her father was a non-functioning breadwinner. He, he, he did things that were irrelevant. Didn't make any money and couldn't see how he could do anything different from this stuff that he did. Uh, the poor mother raised four children working uh, in a in a office. All the time, she this woman I know grew up very, very poor. Well, she ended up going to the states and getting an MBA, and and she's making money, and and she's attractive, and is going to marry and and do quite well at some point. So there are crust cutting things these days, and uh, on the other hand, you've got the the nouveau riche, mm-hmm. and we see how disgusting some of them are. It, it's in the the uh, macadamia nut. Uh, KAL, Vice President's daughter. The Kaptil, the matches. Yeah, and uh, others, you know, uh, um, I don't know what to think about the wealth in Korea today. I was driving down the road and I saw a car that I didn't recognize, got a little closer, it was a Bentley, and you're a British fellow, and you know how expensive a Bentley is, and a Bentley is a status marker in England
0: it's much more expensive in Korea, I would imagine, as well, than it would be back in the there,
1: U.K. There are three, uh, some oak here, so $220,000, mm-hmm.
2: uh,
1: which which, my, I mentioned to my friend the other day. I said, that's that, that's like driving a house. That's more than a house costs. Yeah. And they said, then they said, when did you ever see a house that sold for $225,000? So, <laughs> not you know, anymore. Not anymore. It no. drives my, you know, shows where my reference points are. But I've seen two Bentleys in Korea. And, you know, that's that's a and, and look at all the BMWs and, and Mercedes so around. Many here. Teslas I see. The Electronic
0: Teslas. so many Teslas in, in the middle of Seoul and all the the car parks have the charging, the charging stations. stations. It fascinates so. me just how many yeah, over here there are
1: so things are changing, and I don't know who's driving the Bentleys, but I'm not sure that it's all old money. I suppose a lot of it is nouveau riche money. They and might where be the nouveau riche YouTubers. come from? <laughs> what's that?
0: They might be YouTubers.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and and you know, what's the nouveau riche? Well, they're educated and they're plucky and figure out how to do something. So, um, I, I'm right rather upbeat on Korea in that regard because mm. I see it as. Cross-cutting the old Yangban traditions, and and uh, uh, I'm not sure that a person of a pure slave background uh, has made it to be the president of a company, but maybe they have.
0: I, I'm not sure if they have either. I know, perhaps since the '90s, the idea of the orangey and yeah. the, the yatas. Uh, yeah. This would be the orange tribe, and that yata would be like, "Hey, get in."
1: Yeah. That was
0: the new variation. And news channels would disparage these people for flaunting their wealth but it, it seems to have become the thing it must be you know to, to to meet you in downtown seoul in 2022 with you having been here with chunwon no it wasn't even Chonwon, one dollar bulgogi yeah uh, back in 65 you must look at this place and go wow I, I
1: i shake my head and on one hand i think it's uh there's an aspect of the thing that smells of corruption and of capitalist abuse, but on the other hand, good on them. You know, they've done a tremendous thing. Uh, I, uh, on my last trip here, I haven't been here for three years because of the COVID. Right. In 2019, I met some friends and we went out to dinner and as we were leaving the restaurant, a sharp looking young couple came driving up in a very fancy sports car I'm not smart enough to differentiate a Ferrari from a Maserati. You know, It, was, it looked Italian to me, and yeah. it looked like it was expensive. And he drove up to the restaurant, and he and his date got out of the car and walked into the restaurant. And out of nowhere appears a valet. And I don't know, but I don't think it was a restaurant valet. I think it was a Tagalon valet. Wow. I think there were two people in a car following them, in an ordinary car, to highing. do you know the word hying? It's a nice word for servant or slave. Mm, okay. To hying, to, you know, people hired to uh, take care of the Maserati when you when you have uh, need to find a parking place. And I think that the uh, people that followed them behind, the one guy got out, took the Maserati, and the two of them went off and found a place where they could park until they get the call caller bring my car back the young couple take the car and the other two go back home and the Maserati goes off on its own so i i i don't know if that's the case but i had the feeling that uh that the valet was not with the restaurant that mm-hmm. the valet was tagging the the people
0: have you heard of that? I haven't. I, uh, I'm very familiar with the Terry service, which is when a, a person will drive your car home for you. Mm. You'll sit in the passenger seat, but you'll phone a number. If you've, if you've had a drink oh, and yeah. you can't drive, you phone yeah. a number. Rather than leaving your car and get a taxi home, someone will come. They will drive your car you'll sit in the passenger seat they'll drive you home and then they'll just get the subway and back or something or they'll own. get picked yeah. up and it's so cheap it, it's much it sounds like it would be this incredibly expensive yeah. service but i i don't use it often i don't get caught out like that too much but if it happens and i've had a drink and i've got my car it's it's Samanon, Samanon. It's thirty thousand, forty thousand oh, won,
1: Which is better than paying a ticket for getting zapped for it. Yeah, I I am a
0: good boy. I try not to drink and drive. If you do yeah. it once, it turns into yeah. a bad habit, I think. So yeah. I've always kind of avoided that. But you're right, it is changing. Um one of the things that I, I've really noticed is the confidence that now it seems to give Korean people. So I might speak to, say, my my sister in law who wouldn't be able to name you a bts song Hmm. but if i ask her about bts she'll be over the moon because they're making korea known recognized on the map and um a a week or so ago i was with um i see more and more people that have korean ethnicity but they've been raised in sweden they've been raised in germany and they've often been perhaps embarrassed about their their heritage their koreanness but Over the last year or so, because of Hallyu, because of this success and this rise, they've found the confidence now to embrace that Koreanness. So I just want to ask you, being, you know, you you have your YouTube channel, you've been in America, you might have seen a different perspective, but what is Korean cultural success doing to the Korean psyche doing to Korean people both here and abroad, how is that changing things?
1: Yeah, um, I think it's mostly positive. I'm a little bit concerned about some people that overdo it, that think they're the king of the world already or something. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think for most people, you know, talking about the Bentley that I was just talking about. (laughs)
0: You're still on the cars, yeah. (laughs) Uh,
1: And and, I've been surprised at friends of mine that have Mercedes or BMWs and, and, and such, I've got a friend who's very happy to show off his Chevrolet. He's got a Chevrolet.
0: You saw my car today, didn't you? I, I didn't know it's a brand. What <laughs> is it? It's a Hyundai.
1: <laughs> oh, of course, that's good. Local. Well, in, in in Utah, I drive a Hyundai Sonata and a Kia van. Oh. So I'm, I'm true blue, you know, I'm loyal. Yes. But, uh, you know, I've seen people, uh, one of my friends has a Lexus. I yeah. think with the recent anti-Japanese stuff he might have gotten rid of it, I don't know. But uh, to see these foreign cars here, on the one hand, I'm really surprised because one of my 1965 eyes mm. says you protect your Federal your Federal Reserve, your uh, economic reserves. You don't give your dollars out. And you, there was a time where you couldn't get a dollar out of Korea. It was just an incredibly difficult thing to do. But now you can buy a Volvo, you can buy a Bentley. And, and it occurs to me, for, as you ask that question, that you know, in a sense, maybe everybody owns the Bentley because somebody owns a Bentley. Mm. We're all part of this now. Mm. And I don't own it directly, but yeah, my people now own a Bentley. And my people drive a Mercedes. And I'm stuck with a seven-year-old Sonata, but, you know, people, you know, we're all doing better. And and so I think that's an interesting thing. I think that, uh, you know, Uh, The BTS crowd, Uh, it's it's unbelievable what what BTS has done. And with it is the uh, uh, Parasite uh, winning the Academy Award and all of this stuff. Uh, And I'll give you a a, a piece of data how that impacts me in America. Our university used to have struggled to hire, or to to teach a first-year Korean class. Uh, Our university gets all these returned missionaries coming back in the third-year language class. So we had a lopsided university situation with plenty of students, but third and fourth year uh, on. Uh, But to keep a first-year class going and a second-year class was really hard for us. And we used to have to beg the dean. You had to have 15 students to to carry a class, Mm. 15. And, well, we had 12. So we go to the dean. "Uh, If we don't have first year, we don't have second year. You know, you got to— you gotta give us a, a chance. The dean said, like, okay, okay. The next semester, we have 10. The dean says, no, you need 15. Oh, we only have 10. Oh, please let it, if we don't have first year, we don't have second year, don't. so we get permission. We go in with eight, we only have eight. And we beg the dean to carry the class. Did he carry it? Yeah, nice. yeah, We could. they were very generous to us, to enable to keep the first, second year thing going. Now, post-BTS, we have five and six uh, uh, sections wow. of 101. And I was talking to one of the teachers the other day and he said, We have a wait list. Wait list? A wait list to take a <laughs> Korean class? Give me a break. We would have never wait listed anybody. We'd always put them in somewhere, you know, because enrollments are so important. Now they're wait listing students. We can't get you in this semester. We'll put you in next semester. Mm. Unbelievable. So th- that's another measure. I mean, Bentley's and Lexus are one thing, but uh, uh, to look at the enrollments that have burgeoned, and and it's not just uh, it's not just the uh, 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 enrollments, but it's I mean it's not just BTS, but right. you know the, the movies and all of this. Uh, uh, Squid Game, I hated Squid Game, I hated absolutely hated it. I hate that kind of a thing, but the way it took off was just unbelievable. I love Pachinko. Mm. Uh, Pachinko hasn't made as big a splash, but I, I love Pachinko. The it's
0: book great. or the T V series? The
1: T V series. I was okay. thinking of how the the series the series saturates media more than a, a book does, I think. Mm. Uh well, Squid Game there was no book, it was just the, the movie. But you know, it's incredible what, what Korea's doing. Uh funny anecdote for you, uh uh one a group of students uh, were in a first year class, they were all K pop and and K drama students and the teacher, a 45-year-old dignified Korean gentleman, is asking them how uh, questions just to sort of get a feel for what their language is. And he asked one student, "Pangak, uh, Chemis uh, Have you had a good summer vacation?" And she said, "And she says, <laughs> <laughs> to the friend, <laughs> <to> that's <laughs> not very Confucian, over. <laughs> yeah, to a very dignified. She
0: said, "Add you, but
1: add you, and you in a low form." Yes, yeah which if people don't understand the, na nonan, you don't say that to a forty-year-old gentleman. You know, no. old enough to be your father if you're a freshman. <laughs> but uh, that's funny that you know to show how the learning curve is not how we started out with yeah. all the formal training, all this sort of stuff. They're learning the street language and all these sorts of things. That uh, uh, It's a marvelous thing. You know, when, when I heard that this student said, na, nonan, I thought, wow, how far have we come?
0: That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I have so many students come from all over the world, especially during the summers and winter vacations to do Korean studies, and not only are they passionate They're knowledgeable either about the language or about the the webtoons, the beauty, the dramas. It it traverses so many mediums. I I think there was an idea maybe 10 years ago, just before Kangnam Style in 2012, that a lot of the promotion of Hallyu was over-egged. It wasn't quite as real. And there is still an element of where it is popular. But... The, the passion that I see in the students today for Korean studies is incredibly interesting. And alongside that, for example, uh, particularly at Hanyang University, where I teach contemporary Korean studies there, so many young Korean adults that have grown up as TCKs, as third culture kids, they've grown up in Guatemala, they've grown up in oh, Thailand, they've grown wow. up in China, yeah. and, and they're coming back and... Rediscovering and feeling a a sort of pride to re- rediscover their Koreanness here, and... and
1: good for them, you know, to mm-hmm. have been in a a third world country as a third world immigrant. You're the bottom of the heap, and for them to get that s- self esteem to say, Hey, I, I am somebody. Mm. Look at what I am. Mm. I drive a Bentley. Well, <laughs> I don't, but my people do.
0: It's, it's it's like when Korean people would say, Uri Nara, and they would say, Uri uh, yeah. our our land, our husband, now yeah. they can say, Uri Bentley. Yeah, Uri <laughs> Bentley. <laughs> Uri Bentley Papa. <laughs> 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 yeah.
1: Well, I, I really you like say, how we developed Bentley. that theme. I hadn't thought of that before this discussion, mm-hmm. but I think that Uri Bentley, or Uri Ga Bentley Unjan Hamnida, mm-hmm.
0: I think it's a real thing. Do you take much emphasis in how language affects culture. So while we're on this, for example, and I've had certain people agree with this idea and certain people say, no, there's nothing in that, David, which is that in a lot of Korean speech, you won't use pronouns. So for example, if you wanted to say, did you do your homework? You might say more, you just say homework did, but there's no me, you. There. Yeah, yeah. And if you do use pronouns, you'll sometimes use uri, our, our husband. Yeah. I'll walk down the street and a lady will come towards me and go, oh, uri egi And they'll say, Our kids are cute. And I yeah. still to say to her, they're not our children I made these children. <laughs> these were my offspring. But does does the way you know your your Korean is very good, your knowledge of Hansa, the Chinese characters. Does it is it a different mindset? Is it a different way of seeing the world like the 1965 eyes or is it just superficial uh, window dressing for we're all basically the same though?
1: I met a guy in my hotel the other day from New York City who is here as a design architect guy and uh, came to talk to him and found out he had some deep Korean roots. He's married to a Korean woman. He was here uh, for two years, some years ago and has children that are a uh, son that's back here going to college. Uh, and I I talked with him about this, and he mm. said he thinks the hierarchy is permanently implanted because of the language, mm. that the hierarchy of the language uh, reaffirms, reiterates, reifies hierarchy all over the place. I have had people on my YouTube channel, who Koreans who are uh, anti-hierarchy, who talk about, wanting to reform the language without honorifics, without uh, all these hierarchies in there, it'll never happen.
0: They changed the international age. They changed the Korean age, but on paper at least. I I think people will still say that. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I don't know how to deal with that. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. You know, this country has changed so much in so many different ways. Now, my 1965 eyes say you should uh, marry at a fairly young age and have as many children as possible. Mm. You know, eight or ten is good. Congratulations. Football team. But uh, then I saw things change where, no, you only have two. You only have one, maybe two. Uh, And then I went through the 90s when I saw Koreans aborting female fetuses because they could— they could predict the gender through scientific tests. And uh, uh, if, if that little fetus was the second one and the first one's a female and that second one's also a female, out she goes. Mm-hmm. And, and we saw the schools uh, that next six-year cycle after this these selective abortions started running rampant we saw schools in the Kyungsang do area, the very conservative area, with a first-year class of 24 boys and one girl. Oof. And, uh, you know, that's unsustainable. Right. I mean, you're talking about sustainability. That's human sustainability. Well, uh, I was really concerned because, you know, what's Korea going to do, drive itself into an all-male society? And uh, what's happened is Koreans have flipped. They've said... Girls are better than boys. Bible, Bible. Yeah, and when I get uh, old, not my daughter-in-law is going to be helping me out. It's going to be my own daughter who would have a little more love, affection, concern. I, I changed her diapers when she was one and two, and she can change my diapers <laughs> when I get so old I can't. You know, I'm incontinent, and so, you know, uh, it's been it's been marvelous to see how Korea is accommodated. Mm. Uh, from 1980, 1965 eyes, unbelievable. Yeah, must be. Totally unforecastable.
0: Even when uh, we were doing the ultra scans for our children, uh, some of the nurses would still say when they do, so they can see the child inside, oh, it's got the father's nose, and this language was very careful because oh. it was illegal at some point, yeah. not that long ago, to reveal yeah. the gender, the, the, the sex, of yeah. the, the unborn child because of these.
1: Is it legal now?
0: I, I, I can't speak with any confidence. I believe it's legal now that you have human rights be, to know. Be,
1: because things have changed enough that you're... You're not going to selectively abort female fetuses no, anymore. No, but
0: it, it, I don't believe it's been that long in, yeah. in in the grand scheme of things.
1: That's an interesting question. I, I should know
0: that. I, I I should as well. But you're right to say that there was this huge focus and there was an outnumbering of boys. But now that's that's changed and women are outperforming the men at school and in enrollment and in tests and well, I found out recently longer. the
1: the foreign service uh, incoming class the last several years has been seventy percent female.
0: I, I, I did a guest lecture at the diplomatic service. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> I, I, I gave a lecture to a group of these people, and that's exactly what it looked like in that room. Yeah, to 70% women. These smart, young Korean adults, and they're there ready to represent their country to be a deputy yeah. uh, and to be a diplomat, a representative, and, and that's what it looked like. While you're here, uh, Mr. Peterson, and we talked about Gregory Henderson's book, and I want to talk about your book, your oh. new book. But before we do that... I'm I mean, always happy to talk about maybe my yes, new book. I yeah. got some questions about that from other people. They said, please ask this and uh, But in terms of other books, in terms of people want to learn about Korean history, and I just wonder whether you have any views, because, for example, there's, I, I mean, there's Michael Breen's work, there's Carter Eckhart's, there's Bruce Cummings, there's uh, Gibeck Lee, there's uh, Om ji do you have a sense as a historian as a Korean historian would these people kind of get it right or these people write well or this is what you should be reading
1: well I'm partial to the book you refer to as the Eckert book uh, Eckert was just sort of the last uh, editor on the on, on the team who alphabetically was first that was that was really uh, Iggy Beck's book mm. that was translated by Ed Wagner mm. and the original book was uh, uh, a New History of Korea, and it was considered too heavy because it was almost encyclopedic. That's a great book, but it's it's too heavy for I undergraduates. It's, it's a
0: big brown one. Though, yeah, the brown one. I have. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so uh, Eckert and Mike Robinson and Yu Young-Eek joined the team with uh, Wagner and, and Iggy Beck and added 20th century stuff. Hmm. Uh, Iggy Beck is a Sheila guy, and his story basically ended somewhere uh, in 1960, uh, not much of the 20th century, really. So they added these three 20th century, turn of the century people who, who added a lot. And Eckert was the first one on the list, and so he gets all the credit for it. But that's a really magnificent book. Mm. I, I think that's really the the best one that's out there. There's some other books. A, a friend of mine by the name of Kim Jun Gil wrote one the other day, and his is really nice. The other day it came out uh, three, four years ago, and it's a, it's a nice book. He's a diplomat who was concerned that foreign people didn't understand Korea very well, and he wanted to tell his story. Mm. And uh, he's a retired diplomat who, as soon as he retired, he wanted to write the book. And he came to BYU, and as a 66, 7 year old man, acted like a graduate student. He burrowed himself in. I was just so impressed with him. Uh, so his book's very nice.
0: Any idea uh, on the title of the Kim Jong-il book? Or? Uh,
1: Korean history, I can't remember <laughs> it's okay, yeah. it, uh, Green, Greenwood Press mm. is the the press that he found. Uh, and not to toot my own horn, but let me toot my own horn. Mm. Uh, I wrote a history of Korea that I think is uh, very undergraduate, very readable, and I have a lot of anecdotal material. I put a lot of sidebars in, mm. and and as you've seen from this Discussion. I'm good at sidebars. I like to give the anecdote, which which adds to the—it's the, the kimchi for the meal. You know, it adds some spice yeah. to what we're talking about. And so I, uh, my book was published by uh, Facts on File or uh, um, um, out, out of New York. Hmm. And, and I don't know if it's—how it's available it was. I don't know how well it sold. But uh, um, I'm proud of that one. I, I like that book.
0: Uh, I have that book. That I believe uh, in that. In your book, there you start with, how old is Korea? Well, according to this perspective, yeah. it's five thousand. According to this perspective, it's two thousand years. Yeah. It's seventy years. That's yeah. Your good book. for you. Like, that's yeah.
1: that's the way I start. The question is, what what is history and yeah. why, why do Koreans always say five thousand when? Of the options of how to evaluate history, 5,000 years is probably the worst of the several options.
0: At least make. I read the start of it. I did some study. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I could remember the books. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've really enjoyed uh, what I, the, what, one of the books that I give my students these days is Theodore June News' book. He's based out of Yonsei. Um, and his book is called. The Korea's Divided Nation, something like that. It's 2021, oh, uh-huh. it's very new, but it really resonates with young people, because it tells South Korea and North Korea, but it brings it right up to the modern, and it looks at music in the 1970s, it looks oh. like sports players, it looks at gender and transgender issues. It, it's the kind of book that resonates with the people today, but is still genuine history, mm. if you see what I mean. So yeah. I found a lot of value in Theodore Jr.'s work. Shall we talk about uh, your book? Because
1: it just came out. It and did. I'm very happy about it. Yeah, uh, it came about because of my YouTube channel. The publisher of the book said, "Oh my goodness, this guy's got 140,000 subscribers. Maybe, maybe uh, if a tenth of them buy the book, that's no. a lot of books." Yeah. Uh, so he uh, he knows a friend of mine uh, who's the, my co-author, Mike. My, the, the man who asked me a question and then I respond for two, three pages. Uh, Shin Cheyong was the professor's name. Anyway, the two of them concocted the idea and, and presented it to me and I was more than happy to jump on it. For one thing, uh, it was an easy write and therefore it's an easy read. Mm. By saying it's an easy write, it's not a footnoted uh, uh, textbook kind of thing. It's more of a background, uh, popular kind of book and the reason I did it is because of the YouTube. And the reason I did the YouTube is when I've written books before, you get a press run of a thousand books that uh, is, or may be used in a graduate seminar, maybe not. And uh, it doesn't have any impact on the the real world. And I was particularly disappointed that my dissertation, which I published at Cornell, uh, I, I saw to the translation of it into Korean. I didn't wait for Uh, like many of my colleagues, and wait for it to catch on and then translate it into into Korean by, you know, someone else. I I wanted to see my book into Korean uh, early, and so I arranged for a translator and I worked with her, and we got the book out in Korean in 97 or something. And I was waiting for my point of view to show up in the textbook, that point of view being that uh, Confucianism is of two genres, that the oppressive late Confucianism is late and that the earlier Confucianism is more egalitarian and is more acceptable in the modern world. So anyway, that's what I hoped would show up in the textbook, but mm-hmm. the textbooks don't talk about that. They talk about Confucianism came in in the, 20, in the beginning of the Chosen dynasty had been oppressive from the beginning, and that's all wrong and and not useful to, uh, to Koreans today. So uh, frustrated that people weren't aware of my work, I launched into YouTube. Mm. And I got into it uh, through the good fortune of having a student who was a successful YouTuber. Hi Chad is the name of his channel. And uh, Chad's, Chad Tanner is his name. He's a bright, bright guy who has a sense about these things. And mm. he thought, well, you know, he's, he just stumbled into it. Everybody that does YouTube stumbles into it. Mm-hmm. And he stumbled into it and has 280,000 subscribers now. And so he helped me get started. And uh, uh, I monetized on my first video. And I didn't know that was a marvelous thing. I've since found out from other people that mm-hmm. to monetize at all is marvelous, but to monetize on your first video is just unheard of.
0: What was the first video on?
1: The first video was on Korean names. Uh, why are there so many Kims? Which oh. which. Boils down to one of my major topics and one of my major uh, poke in the ribs to Koreans. And that is, you've never told me why there's so, uh, mm-hmm. there so many Kims, or why there's so many Kims, E's, and pox. Mm-hmm. And you'll say, oh, you think this is a natural thing. It is not natural. No country in the world has 21% of one surname. Now, the Vietnamese uh, do, but that's a distorted thing that everybody had to become a Win to get along with the Win dynasty. But uh, integrated, you know, integral, genuine uh, surnames. Mm. Uh, Korea is off the charts. Uh, only 250 surnames total. And uh, you compare that to Japan with 250,000 surnames. For every single surname in Korea, there are 1,000 surnames in Japan.
0: In Japan, it's quite fortunate to have a unique surname, I believe, isn't it? You want
1: that different name. You want that, and you can change your name if you want to. Mm. In Korea, no way, Jose, can you change your name. Uh, Eunuchs who were adopted into the court kept their natal name. Mm. So these eunuch families that were organized with adopted children to provide eunuch uh, power for the court. Uh, uh, A Mr. Kim eunuch, his father was a Mr. E eunuch, and his father was Mr. Song, and his father was Mr. Yoon and his father was, was Mr. Pak, and, and the name changed every generation. You look at a eunuch chokeball, mm. and it's got all three names, whereas you look at any other chokeball, and it's just got the given names, because everybody's named Kim, you know. It's, it's, everybody's named Yoon, whatever the, the mm. surname is. So uh, the, the name is really a special thing. Well, why are there so many Kims? Before why so many,
0: you, many Es? Why so many Paks? Before you answer it, I don't know if you know the answer to this question. Do you know what eunuch is in Korean? Neshi. Neshi, okay. Yeah. okay. I, I never had an ne, idea. Neshi
1: or Huan they are two two terms that are that are used.
0: It's and, never come up so far for me so to do worry, that yet. Know. I'll probably find a, a way to drop that in a sentence <laughs> tomorrow. Um, um,
1: look at my YouTube on Neshi. It's it's uh, number five on the popularity scale. Oh. It it really did well. I met in, I met a eunuch, one of the last eunuchs of the chosun Dynasty. I met them in, when I was a student in in 1970. Uh, seven or 78, yeah. And and so uh, I, I have personal experience wow. with what the eunuch tradition was like. But anyway, the, the key question is here is why, why are there so many Kims? Hmm. And the answer is because of Korea's stable history. Korea did not have the turmoil that other countries did. When other countries, when the dynasty fell Uh, they would kill off the previous aristocracy. Korea did that with Baekje. Mm. We have eight surnames, prominent aristocratic names from Baekje. They've been completely annihilated. They don't exist today. That's the way it should be (laughs) in a normal country. Korea is very abnormal in that it's really very peaceful and very stable. Uh, I found this through uh, a, a Japanese student at, uh, at our school. She's a, a new student that came in and I met her and, and said, what's your name? And she said, Fujiwara. And I said, Fujiwara? That's the aristocracy of the Heian period. And she responded uh, in typical Asian female fashion that I had recognized her. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we used to be aristocrats. She's very humble and shy about it, and then she said a very revealing thing. She said, there aren't many of us. They killed us all off. Which is what happens with most dynasties, not in Korea. Kaya, the Kaya Kim, which is the Kimya Kim, which is 10% of the Korean population today, Kaya was merged peacefully into Sheila. And the Kaya aristocracy intermarried with the Sheila aristocracy. And then Sheila was protected by Koguryo, which became Koryo, and the Shila people moved into the Koryo aristocracy. And then the uh, at the fall of the Koryo period, um, the um, isang the founder of the Chosun dynasty, uh, when he took over, it, uh, people have tried to call it a revolution. There's nothing revolutionary about it at, at all. He just replaced the king, and the aristocracy continued on Uh, in total. So the royal names of past generations are still alive in Korea today. That's why we have 21% Kim, 15% Yi, 8% uh, Mm Pak, and the rest of the families, Che and Chung, are 5% of the population. And then it goes down to Kong and Yoon and Hong and all the rest of the more familiar names. But... uh, why are there so many Kims in Korea? Because of Korea's peaceful tradition, which flies in the face of what everybody tells you about Korea. Everybody tells you, "Oh, we've had all these wars, and oh, Japan, and all oh, the Mongols," and and then they exaggerate and say, "Everybody invaded us." Well, mm. I'm sorry, Guatemala did not invade you. You know, <laughs> Bolivia did not invade you. Mm. You know, you haven't been invaded by every country in the world. You've only I argue that Korea has only had two major invas- invasions: the the Hideyoshi mm. and the Mongols.
2: Mm.
1: I argue that the Manchu invasions in 1627, 1636 were minor invasions. They came in, secured the king's uh, allegiance, and left. Mm. They wanted the king to be on their side as they move into China. They did not go through the countryside, marauding and and plundering and and raping and such. That was the Japanese. That was the, uh, the Mongols. The Manchus didn't do that.
0: They just got the kowtow or the, the allegiance, I think they made. Uh, yeah, and the boundaries. reason they
1: invited yes. twice was the king went back door and tried to arrange a, uh, an attack from China. And so they came back in uh, nine years later and said, hey, you are not being true to your allegiance. And to keep you loyal, we're going to take your three sons and hold them hostage. And they did. And the three sons were released and came home uh, after the end of the period. The Manchus were trying to make Korea an ally. Mm. They weren't trying to destroy Korea. The, the uh, Japanese were trying to destroy Korea. They, they, they wanted everything they could get out of Korea, and it was pure plunder and murder, mm. what the Japanese did. Uh, the Mongols were famous plunderers and murderers, uh, but they backed off in Korea, and you know, they replaced the government in China and replaced the government elsewhere, but they recognized the Korean government. They just set up uh, fetters on the king so he couldn't do much. He had to marry a Mongol princess and all that stuff for, for 88 years, but then the Mongols left. But uh, no, this, this song and dance that you get from every taxi driver and everybody you've ever met in Korea about how they've been picked on and victimized and all this is pure BS from my point of view. It was true for the 20th century. Korea mm. was greatly victimized by the Japanese, by the United Nations, by the Americans, by uh, the war and and all of that. But the, uh, 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 the victimization of the 20th century should not cast a light on the rest of Korean history. The rest of Korean history, with the exception of these two major invasions, were remarkably stable. Uh, if people want to argue this, they'll say, well, what about the Jurchens and the Ketons? And my argument is they never changed the border. Mm. Those are border skirmishes that were unsuccessful. The, uh, I've done a video on the 10 indicators of stable Korean history. And one of them is the Omnokong the, uh, border lasted for a thousand years you can't find a thousand-year border anywhere else in the world. Certainly not Europe. Certainly not Europe. Mm. Uh, have you seen the uh, the YouTube maps of the borders of Europe changing with every year, as the wars and this and that? And, you know, where is Germany? Where is France? Yeah, you know, it's always moving. Where is Prussia? Where is Czechoslovakia?
0: Can I push back on one idea, respectfully, it's just because of what I've heard? It would be. Uh, in terms of why are there so many Parks, Kims and Lee's, in that with the destruction of the bureaucracy, the state, during the Korean War, the end of colonization, that many people then took those names, whereas before they might not have had a name. So they were trying to give themselves aristocratic names. you If you were going to take a name if you didn't have one, you wouldn't call your you wouldn't give yourself what was formerly a slave name or a common name, but you'd give yourself a name that befitted what social status you wanted to achieve. So, is that not a reason why there are so many Kim Parks and Lees? Uh, uh, that's
1: why there are uh, augmentations of each of those names, mm. but it doesn't indicate um, uh, the origin of any of those names. You're, you're right, those names are all aristocratic names. You don't have slave names in Korea, not at all. Mm. Uh, but, uh, The thing you often hear with that question is uh, the reason there's so many Kims is all these slaves became Kims. And uh, that's not at all true because we've got statistics not of population but of who passed exams in the chosen period. We don't have any good statistical uh, population data. But we do have a list of everyone that passed the exam and the number two exam passing list uh, or name were Kims. So in other words, there have already been a lot of Kims. Mm. And number uh, one is, was E, and E in population drops to number two, and the reason they had more exam passers is because they were the royal family and they had more privilege and such. So they were one and two in exams, and they were one and two in population today. Mm. And number three was POC in exams and in population today. And number four and five were Chia and Cheng, mm. and Yun and Kong and Cho and the rest of them. You, you look at the the I've I've got a chart of this where you look at what the hierarchy was in the Chosun Dynasty and look what the hierarchy is today. There's some shifts, mm. but not major shifts. Wow. In other words, the slaves accrued to the owners, and you don't have a a, a, a sudden surge of Kims because of all the slaves becoming Kim. Uh, slaves took ordinary names. Uh, the, the greater question is what percent of the population did not have a surname and became uh, these uh, additions to the regular uh, names. And, and my answer is somewhere around 20%. Mm. In other words, if you meet a Kim, it's probably 80%, maybe 70%, that he's a true Kim and has a genealogy that traces back to the founder of Sheila or the founder of Kaya. Mm. Um, and then you've got uh, the, the fake uh, former slaves that have attached themselves. But you, you hear, a, a, in this regard, you hear a strange kind of myth, which is that the slaves uh, got some money and bought their way into a genealogy you didn't have to buy your way into a genealogy to get a name. You just declared your name when the Japanese asked you what it was. Mm. And if you're a slave and they say, what's your name? And you say uh, uh, Tongbuk, uh, Eastern Drum. They called me Eastern Drum. Uh, well, what's your surname? That's a good name. Oh, uh, uh, Well, the owner here is named Yoon. 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 I'm Yoon. Mm. So uh, I, I think there was a lot of copying the uh, the owner because the the distribution of population as revealed in the examinations compared to the uh, population today mm. is r- remarkably the same distribution.
0: Do you have any, uh, it's fascinating to look at it that way, uh, and I love the name Dongbuk, <laughs> the, uh-huh. the Eastern Drone. Do you have any insights you might not into the name La? I know a few people, I know Ambassador La jong and uh, Na Sungyan. Uh but just that,
1: that that one surname? Well, uh, let's call that uh, one of the more uh, less common surnames. Yeah. And uh, uh, let's look at it this way. Uh, there's a popular saying in Korea that there are seven Songnome names. Uh, Songnome is a crude word these days. We don't say that. Yeah. But that's that's what the document says. Well, how would you says.
0: how would you translate sanglam politely? Well, you can swear if you want.
1: <laughs> uh, uh, well, sanglam are, are nonyangban, yeah. non-aristocrats, yeah. Yeah. non-aristocratic people, and there are seven non-aristocratic names. Turns out it's baloney. Two of those names don't exist at all. Uh, it's uh, I don't know somebody's fantasy that these two names existed, maybe mm. in some record. Years ago, maybe they did. Two of the names don't exist at all. The other five names are all names of people who, who family members have passed exams. Mm-hmm. In other words, if, if they are fallen Yangban and poor Yangban, at least somebody in the Yangban tradition had a position at one time in, in the government because mm-hmm. they passed exams. Uh, the These names include uh, horse, but uh, horse is not a bad name, It's uh, there are a lot of people named Ma, uh, Ma. Mm. and uh, it includes the name G, which is p- pond there's nothing bad about pond uh, there's uh, 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 the name P which is leather or hide Okay. and uh, yeah, maybe that's a kind of a lower class sounding name because in Buddhism the leather workers, the hide workers were lower uh, status. Mm-hmm. But it turns out the P family, uh, none of them passed the, uh, the the civil exam, but a bunch of them passed the uh, uh, technical exams. Uh, in, in traditional Korea, you had the Munkwa, which mm-hmm. is the highest civil service, the civilian exam. And then you have the Mukwa, the mi, uh, 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 military exam. Then you have the Chapkwa. The Chapkwa are the miscellaneous or technical exams, and these were exams for doctors, Mm -hmm. lawyers, accountants, uh, scientists, meaning uh, geomancers and astronomers, and translators. So these are all dignified uh, Mm -hmm. professions, but these are all considered third class below the civilian authority and the military authority. Mm -hmm. But still, these are high-class people, and the P family had exam passers in the technical area. Mm-hmm. So all of the five real names, all of them, had people that passed exams. So they're not lower class people at all. So, Na, or la, or yeah, ra, it's, yeah. that's this uh, word that has so many expressions in Korean. Right. No, and ro, and, and uh, s- such is another one. But uh, uh, that category of name, is, which is below the top 20, and is within the top 50 of exam passers. Uh, they they have people that passed exams. There were people that passed exams. I have a uh, genealogy of an Ong family. Have you ever met anybody named Ong? No. It's very obscure. Mm. They have people that passed exams. So all of the surnames. Have you met an Ong? What's that?
0: Have you met an Ong? Um.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've met an Ong. And uh, one of the... Uh, other surnames uh, that's very obscure is uh, Bong, and our uh, uh, Parasite movie director, don't you know? Bong. Yeah. And, and I don't know him, but uh, <laughs> when I, I was here as a Fulbright student, mm. uh, as sort of stepchildren of the American Embassy, they allowed us to swim in the American Embassy pool, which up until just a few weeks ago Mm. uh, was a housing compound just across from the Hangul Gilbo building. Now it's been turned into a public park. They tore all the houses out, they tore the swimming pool out. The lifeguard at the pool was Bong. (laughs) So yes, I've met a Bong, (laughs) Uh, and I've met an Ong, and I I love to meet these obscure surnames because there's something about Koreans that they like the big names. You know, if you're a Kim or an E or a Park, you're of a Yangban tradition. Well, that's right, but you're probably also of a slave tradition where there aren't very many people who were named Ong or Bong who were from the slave tradition. They're very small families that have kept a hold of the tradition but never proliferated uh, uh, in population. Mm. Uh, of, the, of, the Cho, of the Shila period, uh, Park, Kim, Yi, Chan, Chung, I'll go back to the Shila dynasty, 55% of the, of the population go back to the Shila dynasty. Um, but there are also two famous names, the Sok it was a royalty. There were kings name Sok and Sol. And a guy named named Sol Chong was the first uh, uh, Confucian in mm-hmm. Korea. And he was the son of Won Hyo whose surname was Sol. Won Hyo was the most famous Buddhist monk from the Shila period. Uh, Sol and Sok never proliferated. There just aren't that many people. You run into a few of them.
0: A few socks, But yeah. there
1: aren't very many of them. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's just genetics, you know. Some people have a lot of babies and some people don't. Mm. And that's just the way it is, I think. So,
0: in yeah. The, in the Shilla dynasty, there was uh, Yoang and Jindokyoang. There was Queen Sondok, Queen Jindok. It's yeah. a really stupid question. What was it, the, their family name was, not Son, Seondokyoang? That's a
1: very interesting question because uh, of the royalty, uh, the first set of kings were named Pak, mm. and the second set were named Kim mm. and then there was a guy named Sok that shows up and he he has a couple of uh, generations of of king. Uh, the the queens that you're talking about were both Kims. Okay. They're part of the Kim the Kyongju Kim. There was lineage. three in total, wasn't there? There, there was,
0: was Song were three. Three. Yowang, Jin Gwangdin Yoang, and Jin Yoang, yes, I think. Yes.
1: very good. Third. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and I think the queens were all uh, of the Kim. Family. Okay.
0: When you talk about professions, we've gone a long way from your book. We'll bring it back there eventually. But when you talk about the professions and the, the leather workers, the P, um, is the, the Sa Nong Gong Sang, the four occupations, um, is that true? Does that apply to Korea? Does that apply to Joseon? Or is that a, a Confucian Chinese thing? It's a
1: Confucian theoretical thing that doesn't really apply. Okay. Um, it It helps to reinforce the idea that Koreans like of hierarchy, mm. and uh, Sa were the aristocrats, yeah. and uh, Nong were the peasant farmers and uh, Gong were the the workers, maybe they were the slaves, and so it it were merchants of, I believe and and then merchants were yeah. merchants were outcasts, merchants yeah. in ideal Confucianism were nobodies mm. in reality. They wanted to go on the tribute mission to China to make some money. So the merchants are hiding in under the surface all over the place. Hmm. But they're under the surface in Korea, which is really interesting because merchants were an important class in China, and they were an important class in Japan. But they were an unimportant class in Korea. They were not uh, welcomed. They were not recognized as a class. Hmm. Uh, and when the merchants started to function more in the... Uh, Late seventeenth and eighteenth, nineteenth century, they were considered lower class, but it's interesting because some of the yangban would invest in the merchants and, mm. and make more money on the side.
0: Your idea of your book, I just want to bring it back here before we before we lose it. And your new book is written in Korean, by the way. It the, is in the, the, Korean. The,
1: is in I Korean. I wrote a couple of chapters in Korean, but most of it I wrote in English and I had to translate it translated. I mentioned it was an easy book.
0: Shin I Kae-Yong, just You said it was helping you translate or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, uh, one, one friend of mine, uh, Nick Tini, who, whose catchphrase is let's go, he said he was so surprised to be able to walk into Kyobo Bookstore and pick up a book in the history section, your book, and then in the first chapter, have content delivered that said Korean history is stable, it's not marred by invasion, it's not this, because some historians will count every sort of pirate fleet that came off the store, and and, and they'll count 500 invasions in a yeah. year or something. Yeah. You pointed to it, and, uh, and Nick Tini said that he was amazed to read this in Korean in a Korean bookstore. Uh, Kay Park, who's a young historian who I've had on the podcast before, she's- Oh,
1: she did a video with me as well. I, I but, saw her on your- Yeah, yeah. she was- right, young gal.
0: Very, and she's- so She wants to hear so much about your book. Um, so in in that sense, you're, you're challenging this idea that Korean history is not sad, it's not tragic, it's not characteristic and marked by this hand, it's not something that should be... Because that is a narrative that you get, and some of that does apply to the 20th century, which you've said. I also find that whether it's true or not, in some aspects, it's been very useful for the Korean people to rally around and to have this underdog status. We know in sports or in psychology that if you feel you're, you know, everyone's it's us against the world, it creates this very big yeah. camaraderie spirit. Yeah. And perhaps part of that, I don't want to say falsification of history, but part of that historical narrative that they have suffered might have contributed to to the rise, to the drive. So there's so many questions I have in there to try and unpack, but one of them might be how have Korean people responded to you challenging this idea and looking at history the way you do. Another question might be wrong or right aside, has the Korean version of history been beneficial to the Korean people?
1: Yeah, that's a very interesting uh, question. And the idea of being the uh, underdog Mm. uh, and purposely downplaying their situation uh this is true for the military the, the uh military rulers of korea hmm. uh like the idea of the victimization because then you stand up and say we'll never let it happen again we're gonna fight back and no more of this stuff for us uh, which you know is useful propaganda for the military uh and certainly you know uh there's sort of like truth on both sides of this controversy. The way I look at it, the mm. way the traditional uh, Koreans have looked at it, in a sense, it's sort of the glass half empty, the glass half full. Mm. And and I'm saying, hey, look at the other side of this. Mm. And uh, I found when I started raising these heterodox ideas uh, that they were hammered down at first. Uh, when I'd mentioned just one of these ideas... People say, well, no, that's not the way we look at it. You know, we've been invaded so many times. and, and mm-hmm. Don't tell us we haven't been picked on because we've been picked on, by golly, you know, and we're the doormat of Asia. Don't forget, we're the doormat of Asia. You know, there's a sort of defending their rights as the, as the lower class there's, mm-hmm. or the picked-on class, the picked-on country. Uh, but what has happened is over the years, I keep seeing different aspects of this peaceful tradition gizmo out here. And finally, I put it all together, and when you dump it on a Korean audience as a package, Mm. it's overwhelming. Mm. When I list all these reasons, the long dynasties are not something to be embarrassed by. The Japanese said, that's why you've never got anywhere. You've got these long, useless, inept, corrupt dynasties. You know, If you were like us, you know, where you kill a few people and set up a new dynasty every now and again, then you've got some dynamism, but you don't have any dynamism. You're old and stodgy and corrupt. And so the Koreans are bought into this Japanese idea that it's a bad thing. I'm trying to say, no, it's a good thing to have had a long, stable dynasty. And then transition from dynasty to dynasty. I've said that uh, uh, it's been a very smooth transition. Mm-hmm. The Korean historiography is trying to say, oh, each, rev- each dynasty is a new revolution, because we gotta get ourselves a resolution out here. If you haven't got a revolution, you haven't got anything going on. And so uh, you've got a bunch of revolution envy out here that we need to find our own revolution. Mm-hmm. And, and the revolution between each dynasty is nonsense. There was no revolution. It was the same continuity of the same ruling class. Then the idea that uh, you've had so many invasions. I no, you haven't had that many invasions. That, that Korea said, uh, and Korea has never invaded another country. That's a marvelous thing, not something to be ashamed of. Mm-hmm. I had a, a dinner with uh, Gukjong at the Foreign Ministry years ago, and I mentioned Korea's never invaded another country, like, that's really something to be proud of, and yeah. he lowered his shoulders and bowed his head and said, yeah, we're so poor. we. We're so weak. We never invaded another country, you know, which is really absurd because they've got a marvelous thing to look at. Um, the, number five on my list is the uh, border that uh, the Omnokong is the longest border, uh, longest-held border in world history.
0: Can I, I ask a silly question about where is that? Is, is that by the Yalu? Is that the one by Manchuria? Exactly the Yalu River.
1: yeah, the Omnokong. And the Tumen Kong is 600 years old. That's almost one of the world's oldest borders. But uh, I got that from David Kong at USC, by the way. I didn't generate this on my own. I borrowed that from him. I was
0: thinking of his work the whole time you're describing this because he makes these arguments as well, doesn't exactly. he? That- yeah, and I,
1: I like to give David credit. David's a good friend, and, and I, I, I thank him for pointing that out to me. You know, every one of these things that I've got on my list of 10 or 12, there's actually 13 of these things on my list now, uh, every one of them are, are reminiscent of the Korean saying, it's dark under the lamp. Which is the idea is that you know the lamp gives light to the room, but underneath the lamp it's dark. In other words, it's it's been right under your nose the, old time, the whole time, but you've never seen it. Mm-hmm. You know the idea that the Omno Kong has been there forever. We, we assume, yeah, it's been there forever. And David uh, Kong comes along and says, "Hey, that's been there forever." You know that's significant. That's mm-hmm. an important thing. It's like with the Kimi Epoch surnames. It's been there forever, but we've never recognized it. Number six on my list is. Uh, no robbing of the tombs.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And this was an idea that came to me from an archeologist that was on one of our trips, one of my textbook improvement trips that I was able to lead for several years, different groups. And uh, we were standing in front of the tombs in Gyeongju in and the guy raises his hand and he said, I'm an archeologist, uh, when were these tombs robbed? And uh, I said, no, the tombs haven't been robbed. He said, well, of course they've been robbed. In the Middle East where I study you never find a tomb that hasn't been plundered. The, the pyramids were robbed before the dynasty was over. Of course you rob the tombs, that's what they're for. You know, It's like why you robbed the bank, that's where the money is, you'd know, you do this. And I said, no, the archeologists have excavated seven tombs, one double tombs, or eight tombs, and, and uh, they've always found the crown and the jewels and the gold, everything's there, it hasn't been robbed. And this guy said, oh, that's amazing. That's really amazing. He says that underscores your argument that mm. Korea has peaceful history. And number seven is the Just before beach. we go
0: to seven, when we talk about the tombs, these are the, the – they look like grass hills. I'm yeah. doing a terrible way of describing huge, it, but huge. just to compare them to – or contrast them to pyramids or something like this. These are the – grass.
1: Yeah, yeah, these huge tombs. There are 355 of them or so and none of them have been robbed. Now, there's some smaller tombs of lesser hmm. princes and such that do get robbed, and grave robbery is a thing in Korea, but not of the big tombs.
0: You said there were crowns still in there? Yeah. I, I, I'm just curious. Do, do we know what those crowns look like? Oh, yeah, the Sheila Museum? crown,
1: the the beautiful crown with the, the jade danglies and the little uh, circle danglies. I can see it now. Yeah, yeah. now you've yeah. described
0: it. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, every one of these tombs is... Pulled out a, a,
0: a crown. So the question would be, why weren't they raided? Yeah, was there just a really good police force? Were the people they didn't like tomb raiding wasn't a thing?
1: I th- I think yes, both those things. That there was a police force. There was a enough social organization. That mm. I mean, actually, uh, one thing is these tombs are loaded with uh, 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 river boulders, which uh, are big round. Rocks mm. and you can't burrow into them because the rocks fall down. Mm. Uh, they're not rough rocks that will h- hedge in each other, but uh, you can't burrow into the thing. The only way to get into it is to take the whole top off and uh, pull the whole thing off and get down into it. You can't burrow underneath it because they got the rocks down underneath mm. as well. So uh, the only way to get into it is to open it up and tear it, tear it apart from the, from the top. Well, uh, that takes a lot of time yeah. and it takes a lot of manpower. And uh manpower that have to stand up against someone that would tell you not to do it, which would be the whole police force or the whole whole social organization. So even during the Japanese invasion in fifteen ninety two, they did break into two uh Chosen tombs, the Japanese did. Mm-hmm. Uh but they didn't get into into any of the Shila tombs. And down south is where the Japanese all were. That's where their strongholds were. They had their you know the thirteen fortresses around the the southern horn of Korea, where the Japanese built these huge stone fortresses, and and yet they didn't have enough time to go rob the tombs because there were enough Korean resistance fighters that the Japanese would always return re, uh, return to their fortresses at night.
0: Any of those stone fortresses still there?
1: Oh, all of them are there. All of them are still yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you don't see it on the tourist brochure. No, this
0: is why I, I, I ask a lot of stupid questions. I no, hope you do No, you don't ask mind. a lot of
1: very good questions because uh, it's obvious that nobody knows about these Japanese fortresses. Uh, in Ulsan, however, they've made one into a national into a city park Okay. and they've featured it and they've, they've gussied it up and such. But in most of these fortresses are overgrown with trees and they're on hillsides, so you only run into them if you're out mountain climbing. Mm. But they're all there. Mm. They're all there. And these they're huge stone edifices with with mazes, so you can't just uh, walk in and, and assault the, the the front gate. You've got to go into the maze to get to the front gate. Mm. So they are impregnable things. So thus the Japanese were protected when they were here, but the the Koreans kept attacking them, and they never had enough chance. The the Japanese to rob the tombs while
0: they're at it you've never been in a tomb because of the rocks the the, the
1: is it? well uh, yeah yeah there's one the flying horse tomb's been been excavated and rebuilt mm. and, and it's got a cutaway mm. inside the vault so it's sort of a half uh, tomb inside and it's got a cutaway so you can see the the river boulders up here and you can see how the thing is is constructed So when you go to Kyungju you've got to go see the flying
0: horse tomb. You haven't been there. You know, sometimes I forget what I've done and what I haven't done. Yeah. You know, sometimes everything just blows into yeah. one, and you see a picture, and all you've said, yes, I have done that, and other yeah. times, the, no. The so. flying
1: horse tomb is magnificent. And they've reconstructed it in a way so you can go inside. It's really, it's really very nicely done.
2: Mm.
1: Number seven on my list is the sun bee rather than the samurai. We talked about that a little bit before, this, this cultured group. Number eight is a centralized government, not a uh, not a uh, 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 feudal government. Mm. And, you know, the Japanese in the Japanese period were always goading the Chosenjin. you know, say, you Chosenjin, jin you don't even have a feudal government like we do and like Europe does, you know, we're the advanced countries, you're the backward country. Uh, whereas Korea abandoned feudalism in the late Shila, early Koryo period and established a centralized state, which was much more sophisticated. Mm-hmm. The, the feudal states of Japan were constantly fighting with one another, and, and uh, one would grow larger and gobble up the other one. It was a, in a state of military flux all the time. But uh, the Korean centralized state would recruit people for service in the state through an examination,
2: mm-hmm.
1: through a test. What well, could be more civilized than that? you know. This is the the pen over the brush theory. Business.
0: That's what we do today, isn't it? Yeah. When we give people exams and tests.
1: Exactly what we do today. And so the examination system of, is of the, Korea is number eight. Number nine is slavery. Hmm. The Korea has this longest held unbroken chain of slavery in the world, which is not anything to be proud of except that on this list of uh, ten things that I've got, uh, everything else is something to be proud of. You can brag about, it, but you don't like to brag about having the longest unbroken chain of slavery. No. But the point is, because the slavery was unbroken, it's indication that the aristocracy mm. was never broken. Mm. At the fall of a dynasty, in a normal country, <laughs> thinking Korea is abnormal and it's so it's so peaceful, in a in a normal country. Mm. Uh, when uh, when a dynasty falls, you have chaos for a generation or two, and some tough guy who was a slave can rise up and take over. Hideyoshi was basically a slave in Japan before mm-hmm. he took over and, right. and, and uh, took over the, the the whole government. But uh,
0: similar in China, I believe, as well. Very people And in China, Liu
1: Bang was yeah, a slave, they mm-hmm. say, a lower class guy, and mm-hmm. founder of the Han dynasty. So the uh, uh, The idea is that in a normal country, when a dynasty falls, there's some chaos and social uh, change. In Korea, that never happened. It never happened. You you have the same continuity of Mm. aristocrats all the way through. And then number 10 on my list is the Kimi Pak thing. And it's Mm. evidence of all of this peaceful tradition uh, as to why you have so many Kims,
0: Es, and Paks. So I I need to then ask you the million dollar question, which is, If the centralized state was more sophisticated, there was the peaceful transition, there was the sword rather than the pen, why did the Japanese then take over Korea?
1: Because they had the swords. And Korea was more sophisticated, more educated, uh, but less military uh, set up. Mm. And uh, in my view, it has to do with uh, uh, monarchy. Uh, if you've got a good monarch, you've got a good monarchy. If you've got a bad monarch, you've got a bad monarchy. It, it's a reflection of the talent and the power of that individual. Is the this where you
0: throw shade on Gojong? Or is yeah, that
1: yeah, exactly shade on Gojong. Gojong hmm. was an idiot. He didn't know what was going on. He had no clue and was... Uh, at the ha- uh, oppressed by uh, manipulated by his wife by his in-laws he, uh, uh, it was just shameful the way kojong handled things and I always like to say that if uh, we had a sejong at that period mm. and Sejong, if if he had heard about America he'd want to know about it and he'd have send an ambassador mm. if he'd heard about Europe he'd want to know about it and he'd send an ambassador if there were Catholics coming around that that uh, had science, Uh, he'd want to know who these Catholics are. He wouldn't just go out trying to kill them. Uh, And evidence that he would have gone out is that that's what he did. When he decided he was gonna write the alphabet, gonna create a new alphabet, he was trying to figure out what alphabets were like and what did other countries do. He sent 17 ambassadors to China to study about this and to bring back word about different alphabets and and he figured out oh there's a consonant and a vowel, Japanese don't have consonants and vowels. It's kaki kukeko mami man. No, they don't have any consonants and vowels. Mm. Chinese don't have consonants and vowels. They have uh, fanjie, where you cut the syllable in half. Mm. Dong is do and ung, and so that actually is t and ung. So they had this thing of splitting the 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 the. Syllable, mm. but they didn't know there was a consonant and a vowel. They knew there was a first part and a second part. Um, so Kojong comes out with this idea of consonants and vowels, which and was Sejong, just, though, uh, amazing. Not uh, Sejong, yeah. yeah. No. Kojong, he's the, <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, if we'd had a Sejong, if he sent 17 emb- embassies out to learn about an alphabet, how many embassies would have he have sent out when he heard about other countries? Mm. Other countries that were doing all kinds of interesting things. Uh, Steamships, what are those? You know, Locomotives, what's all that? And my favorite dream for making up Korean history, if I make mm-hmm. my movie of the way Korean history should have been,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Commodore Perry would have heard about this magnificent king in Korea and would have wanted to have dealt with him, and Commodore Perry would have come to Korea, not to Japan. And Korea would have become the superpower, fo- the superpower of East Asia, not Japan.
0: Who plays Commodore Perry in the movie? Yeah, yeah, you. <laughs> <laughs> there'll, be so- <laughs> there'll be there'll be someone. What's the what's the response to you to your book? So this is now on the bookshelves in Korea. This is available. It's not. Um, you know, earlier we talked about Lee's book and things being too dense and not really available or not very easily readable, but your book is there and, and you're presenting a very different view of Korean history. Very
1: different and in a very conversational, lighthearted way so that it's, uh, it's 2022. Right. Uh, kids these days don't wanna read 20 footnotes until they, they get into senior year or, or maybe graduate school. Oh. But what they want to know now is what, what's the general story? And uh, that's what I'm presenting to them, and they've got to take it on faith a little bit that it's documentable, but it's all documentable. Uh, the thing that's interesting to me is when I make this presentation on YouTube or uh, to a live audience is what I really love to do. I love mm-hmm. speaking to live audiences because the scales just fall from their eyes. You can just see mm. the revelation opening up to them. and it's really interesting because I don't present to them any new facts. I present the old facts with a different perspective. Mm. And what happens is they say, they say oh yeah, I, that's true. Yeah, that's true, that's true, but I'd never looked at it that way before. Mm. And so people are always commenting on my uh, YouTube channel that it's a seron shisan. it's right. a new perspective, a new mm. way of looking at it. Mm. And so the response from the book has been like the response from the YouTube channel. It's been, wow, really, I'd never looked at it. I just got a phone call from a, a fellow that I know a little bit, an uh, academic who uh, um, works on the Chosun Dynasty, and he said, I just got your book, and I just read the first few chapters. He said, I agree with you 100%. Mm-hmm. He said, this business about... Uh, you know uh, how we're picked on and we're the doormat of Asia said, that's nonsense. We, we've mm-hmm. got this long tradition of peaceful, stable society. He said, I agree with you a hundred percent. and I said, well when you finish the book, let me know what you disagree with. you know, let me know where I'm wrong mm-hmm. or off key mm-hmm. or you can't quite accept it the way it is and and that'll be fine with me if if I find, that uh, my point of view is accepted 75%. That, that's a C, but that's dang good for me. I'd be yeah. very happy to see that. I, I, I wouldn't mind to see
0: 100%. Is it... And again, I ask this question respectfully, and I, I wouldn't feel right if I didn't, but there's this thing in modern times called Gukbong Queen. Gukbong Queen, so national meth Gukbong. is just praising the nation too much, and the Queen aspect is when if you... If a foreigner were to make a program or a YouTube channel that promotes Korea and says all the good things about Korea, it's very easy to get popular support. It's very easy yeah. to to get that support because it it gives a message that Korean people want to hear or, or that they like hearing. Do you have any comment that the, the that your message is easily received because people want to hear it rather than that's actually what happened or you're very confident in, in the scholarship and know that that is the, the message?
1: I'm very confident in the scholarship mm. and people don't argue with the, uh, the content. Mm. Uh, the thing that I'm concerned about in that regard as far as Gukbong is concerned mm. is what the uh, right wing is doing now. Mm. Uh, the internet is full of these right wingers Uh, these uh, ultra nationalists Mm. who are trying to beat a drum that Korea is the source of all good in all of East Asia. Korea invented the Chinese characters. Confucius was Korean. Mm. The Shila uh, land was really in China to begin with. Mm. And Pekje was in China as well. And it just, in later years, does it show up on the Korean peninsula? That's all nonsense. And it's all, that's real Kukpong. Yeah. That's really extremism that panders to a, this desire to not be picked on. It panders this desire of not being uh, um, victimized by overdoing Korea's status. Mm-hmm. Uh, another part of this, I haven't gone to war with them yet, but I, I anticipate that I will at some point, was the Hwandan the, Kogi. Uh, Group. Do you know about Huan Dan Kogi? No. Uh, Kogi sounds like pulukogi, it sounds like meat. Yes. It's not meat, it's the old record, Kogi. Okay. Huan Dan refers to uh, Huan Ung, the lord of heaven, mm. and Tangun, the lord mm. of earth. Mm. And uh, it goes back and looks at the Tangun myth as reality.
2: Mm. And it
1: looks at Tangun not as a person, but as a title for king. So if you have a Tangun that lives for a thousand years, it's a series of kings, not one man. And so it's a way of giving, giving Tangun myth uh, some reality in a rational sort of way. Well, everyone that's looked at Hwandong Kogi, it's a book. Anyone that's looked at Hwandong Kogi objectively says it's a it's a forgery. Mm-hmm. It's not an old text at all. Uh, but there are a bunch of people out there that buy into that. and. Uh, that's real kukbong. That's real ultra nationalism. Yeah. Um, what I'm doing is walking a pretty fine line, actually, to try to tell Koreans they should be more proud of their history, but I'm doing so without exaggeration, mm-hmm. without rah rah hip hip. Let's let's you know see think of ourselves as superpowers. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to say no, just look at it, you know. And uh, uh, if somebody wants to say well your uh, few invasion things is a little bit overstated. You know there really have been more invasions. You know I'll welcome that debate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I dismiss the Jurchen and Khitan invasions completely, and maybe I shouldn't because some of those were pretty bloody. Mm-hmm. But none of them changed the border. Mm-hmm. None of them moved the line, and so. Where, where's the impact of the invasion if it doesn't change anything? In other words, Korea was able to resist. And, and in this regard, who won the war of the Japanese invasion of 1592? Koreans talk about how they were so beaten up and so uh, um, demoralized and uh, dehumanized and uh, degraded in every way by the uh, Japanese but who won the war? The Koreans won the war. Mm-hmm. The Japanese left in defeat, and Hideyoshi died, and his son couldn't reign anymore. It was an absolute disaster on the part of the Japanese side. Mm-hmm. And and why? Because the Koreans prevailed.
0: I, I really respect the way you answer these questions. I, it, it's amazing, and the willingness to accept counterarguments and where there might be room for maneuver, I, I think that's what
1: I love the counterargument. I would love to be critiqued on this thing uh, because usually I can prevail in the argument. Some people will be stubborn and say, well, no. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, I, I, I love the counterargument and I'm hoping that my book will become part of a major argument in the academic world in Korea. Uh,
0: me too as well. The Indian that, War, that conflict there Was it not China that was victorious against Japan and this took place on Korean soil? Oh, dear, 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 dear.
1: Um, Well, uh, Korea could not have done it without China. Uh, There's no question about that. And Korea may not be happy to say that. But uh, no, the the Chinese played a major, major role in the defeat of the Japanese. But the shining light there is Isun-Shin. And uh, who was the Chinese general that did anything? Who was the Chinese general that, uh, you know, was so magnificent? You, you know, you, the name doesn't pop up. Mr.
0: Ung. Yeah, <laughs> oh, <No>, yeah.
1: <laughs> but, but Yi Sun-Shin was a marvelous person. He was, he was such an inspiration. You know, his saying, and I'm, I'm sure he said it, he may not have originated, but he said, if you, if you strive to save your life, you will die. If you disregard your life, you will survive. And so, I mean, that, that's a soldier's saga. You know, fight as if you're going to die and you'll live. Fight as if you're going to, fight, fight as you're trying to stay alive and you'll die. Mm. Oh, just magnificent. And then he, uh, he was considered a traitor because he didn't volunteer to fall into a Japanese trap. They had a spy report that the Japanese were X, Y, Z, and he didn't go attack. But one goon, his lieutenant, uh, the other general said, no, let's attack, and he sailed into a trap and lost most of the Korean Navy. Hmm. And so the king said to Isun Soon-Shin, uh, uh, you, you've lost your navy, fight on land. Fight hmm. the Japanese on land. Forget this naval business. And Isun Sun shin said, I have 12 ships.
2: <laughs> it's it's just about, I have 12 ships,
1: you know. If they sink all my ships, yeah, then I'll quit. But I have 12 ships. And he sailed right back into the fight again. Incredible.
0: It reminds me of that line from the Ukrainian President Zelensky when uh, President Biden's offering him a lift out and he says, Mr. President, I don't need a lift, I need a gun. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. he stayed in four. That That kind of thing just stands out. I, I i'm teaching a, a lecture on uh, mental health later this week and oh, sometimes yeah. when i see those uh, the movies the the Ch- Min Shik movie not the recent one but the Min Shik one uh, and he's like we're all gonna die and it's gonna yeah. be noble and yeah. i can't help but think of the ramifications of the nobility of suicide and how that plays out in modern korea with its statistics yeah. I, I i'm a little bit conscious of time and uh, Because we're in a studio that has a time limit, (laughs) not because of mine or your interest. And so there are some things that I do want to make sure that I ask you about while we're here.
1: I'll try not to go long-winded. We'll do some rapid
0: fire. No, no, no. We have time to handle these. But I just want to make sure we get them. Um, the, the, The first one is, Mr. Peterson, what advice do you have for young scholars young people in this world people at university maybe people like k park that are not at university yet but they they might be studying they might not be studying they're trying to work out what to do you've obviously lived a, a a rich and warm life and you still seem full of all the the joys of intellectual conversation and 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 humor and what would you say to, to young people, people that might be in their late teens or early 20s? Do you, do you have any advice to them academically or, or personally?
1: Yes, uh, in a word, be creative. Mm. Uh, the biggest fault I see in the Korean educational system is it's still very stodgy, still very um, um, memorization-oriented still fact-based only. Fact-based is great, but you've got to go beyond that. You've got to get the fact, and then you've got to interpret the fact and do something with the fact. Uh, my favorite example is Shijo, these great Korean poems that we're trying to get started in an international context to get the world aware of Korean Shijo. Hmm. The world is aware of haiku. Uh, in America, there is not a student, by the time they get through grade school, that has not not only studied haiku, but has written a haiku Ooh. of their own. I don't know that haiku is taken off in the UK.
0: It's uh, 575, isn't it, yeah. in terms of syllables? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if they're in curriculum, but they're kind of well-known.
1: In America, it's third, fourth grade, mm. yeah. But um, uh, in Korea, uh, Shijo is taught as, this old poetic form, and there are these old guys that did shijo, and and uh, though I die and die again, though I die a hundred deaths after my bones have turned to dust, whether my soul lives on or not, my red heart, forever loyal to my king, will never fade away. That was Chong Ju at the start of the Chosen Dynasty. Um, um, they they study the old famous shijo, but nobody writes a shijo. Mm. And think of the creativity uh, that's lost if you only memorize a poem and don't write a poem. And so uh, my admonition to young scholars is uh, tap into the creativity. It's there. I mean, look at BTS, look at uh, Squid Game, look at uh, Parasite, that's all product of creativity. (laughs) That's come out of a educational system that's just based on fact. Mm. So take your fact-based, and then ask yourself, what does this mean? Well, what are the ways of looking at this and interpreting this? And if I look at it this way, maybe you can look at it differently. What what is that? You know. So this creative give and take, I think, is uh, an important thing for a student to to look at, not just to make sure they've got all the facts. I mean, who cares how old Yi Sun-Shin was when he died? I can't tell you how old he was right now, but, uh, you know, he he was in the prime of life. Uh, I can tell you Yul Gok was 49 when he died, a fairly young man. But, uh, um, no, uh, the fact doesn't matter. Uh, you've got to build on the facts. You need to know the facts. Facts are great. You know, you don't want to have all theoretical stuff. That drives me nuts. Uh, in fact, the way my brain is structured, everybody's brain is different. Everybody's structured differently. My brain is structured that I cannot do philosophy. I can't do it. It just drives me nuts, you know? Who cares? I, I, I do the philosophical impact. I, mm-hmm. do, I do look at where uh, the uh, Confucian society functioned. I'm interested in that. My brain can understand that. But we've all got different brains, and uh, who can say that one's is better than the other? Uh, Einstein was considered a joker and a goofball and, and early on, and nobody took him seriously. But uh, you know, the uh, uh, you, you've got to do what you've got to do, and you've got to find your own creativity. And so, my admonition for young students is: be creative, mm. and take the basic facts you've got, but. Do something interesting. Do something interesting that's never been done before.
0: Write a shijo. Write, a shijo. Write your own shijo, and writing your own shijo might be uh, producing a webtoon or, or writing an essay that goes beyond the facts and finds or, the answers deep or inside. Sing,
1: or sing your shijo. Sing your shijo. Yes. Or do something. Do something creative. Do something that's never been done. That uh, I don't know if Korean students are taught this, but and I don't know if UK students are taught this, but American students believe that they can do something that nobody else can do. Mm. Every American student thinks that they can be the best in the world at one niche, Mm. whatever it is. Are UK students taught that?
0: I've been in South Korea for nearly 20 years, so my knowledge is more. I spend all my time with South Korean students these days, and the, the impression that I would get here is that you don't stand out it's better to you know be the stable get the stability and if yeah. you don't try for something and so many students in my class where they're asked to analyze they're asked to subjectively interpret objective facts that's part of the methodology so many of them struggle with it because they'll just produce an objective report or a, a repetition of the they information. want to know what the right answer is and yeah exactly it is changing i, I will say that so many young people now are curious and intelligent. Although, in your answer, shijo is a metaphor. It yep. is a metaphor exactly. for a, for a, for a dance or for a song or, or for anything for it might whole
1: be. Whole range of creative a, activity.
0: A, 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 a physical formula, a biological construction. It might be anything. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> when you asked me about a haiku, I said five seven five immediately, and then you okay. uh, you beautifully performed. Uh, a Shijo from the start of the Chosun dynasty, about a, a man dying a thousand deaths and the heart still going on. Are you able to very quickly explain the structure? Is it, is it syllable-based or is there is it's, there a pattern? It's
1: syllable-based. It's syllable-based. It's flexible-syllable-based. Be- it's uh, flexible syllable based. Mm. it's uh, three lines
0: mm.
1: with four segments in each line. And each of these four segments has four beats or three beats. Mm-hmm. And the last line... Has to start with three beats, mm. and then it breaks the four into five, six, seven, or eight, mm. and then returns to three and four again at the end.
0: So there is a pattern. It's flexible. But there is a pa- there is yeah. a pattern. Do you know David Fields? No. David P. Fields. He he wrote a a good book on Isingman uh, called Foreign Friends. He's oh. a historian. I, I want to say Wisconsin, but that might be wrong. I'm sorry, David. <clears throat> but he often writes Shijo's on, on the internet. Oh really? It, it, I, yes, I really he does. that's why I wondered I thought you might, but he often writes Shijos and he's like, here's my Shijo for this week uh-huh. and uh, he's, he's a member look him up and see see what his Shijos is like. but yeah,
1: well, thank you for the tip. You know when I was uh, post uh, graduate school, when I was uh, dissertation writing, mm-hmm. uh, David McCann, my colleague, was also writing his dissertation and he, he was frustrated that our advisor, Professor Wagner, mm. is famously slow at responding. Mm. You know, he burrows in and he doesn't answer the the letters or the letters back in those days. So David figured out he'd write a shijo to to Professor Wagner, who then would feel compelled to write a shijo back, and then he would answer his letter and say something back. So <laughs> again, creativity.
0: Who'd have, who'd have thought of such a thing? Uh, I, I love it and. And, and creativity as well. I, I don't know if you remember, but at the start of this conversation, you were using some very creative verbs. I think you were saying some being or Samurai, Samurai and things like this. So um, <laughs> young people, please, Shijo your life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Shijo is a verb. Yeah. We have that and shijoing things. things. Um, I, I love the creativity despite uh, the advancing years. And that's why I love asking these questions. Um, Perhaps, you keep
1: talking about my advancing years, an older person,
0: you know, an older person
1: doesn't think he's older. What do they think? They think they're younger. I, I think that. you and I are the same age, but I've just been around a little bit longer.
0: I, I can get that. I can go with that, though. <laughs> I, I would be quite happy with that. I feel, yeah. uh, that, uh, I, I feel that connection in our conversation, yeah, by the indeed. way. Indeed. Um, but I, I did want to ask you this question, and, and feel free to pass if you don't think it's appropriate, but... As you age and as you get busier in your retirement, I, I, I find that a remarkable thing. Do there's two parts to this question. Does your perspective or understanding or how you see the world change because of age? And and the second part, which is as as you get older, do you do you ever think about death? Does it scare oh, yeah. you? Yeah,
1: it it scares me, yeah. Um, yeah. Death scares me, but I hope that when I'm ready to die, I'm ready to die. That, I, that I'm not afraid of it. My mother-in-law was a great example. Uh, when we found out she had a, a very severe cancer and she only had a few weeks or months to live, she said, that's okay. Mm. I, I've had a good life. So eventually, yeah, when I get to that point, at this point though, I'm still uh, quite vital. My wife says that I'm working now more than when I was working. <laughs> so, <laughs>
0: I could believe that.
1: Uh, that once you retire, you're sort of free again, and you can do whatever you want to do, and I think that determines a lot of who you really are. Uh, if you're teaching all the time and then you retire and play golf, it says you're really a golfer, I guess. Mm. But if you've been a teacher all your life and then when you retire and you do nothing but teaching, I guess it says you're a teacher, mm. which, I, I'm I'm proud of myself about, I, I, I like that. Uh, you ask if my attitudes or perspectives on the world have changed, yes. I've become much more mellow. I'm much more mellow. After raising children and now seeing grandchildren, uh, things that would upset me or are things I would think would need correction, I don't correct anymore.
0: Mm.
1: I let it go and, and it's okay.
0: It's a bit Taoist of you.
1: It is, I've turned into <laughs> a hippie in my old age. <laughs> uh yeah it's it's very dallas, dallas it's very Wu way and things that used to drive me or upset me don't upset me anymore i just roll with it more
0: yeah. Could you explain wu-wei? I know it, but there might be some people that are not quite familiar with Woo-wei? wu-wei. And I, I think it's one of the best things ever. I sometimes say it to my students, and these might be students that look at me and go, like you just said, David, I just don't do philosophy, and this sounds like philosophy, and they won't get it, but I love the principle of wu-wei. Wu-wei.
1: Mu wei is the Korean pronunciation. Mu wei I didn't know that. Which is, do not do. Uh, do not do. Just go with the flow let it let it run um, i i i have if i'm a Dallas now i have not been because i i used to say if you go with the flow you're going downhill because the flow always <laughs> rolls downhill and you want to climb the hill not to roll downhill with the water with the river uh, but I, maybe i'm becoming more wu way as i get older as i get more <laughs> mellow uh, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely more mellow than I used to be. Uh, uh, my uh, uh, undergraduate advisor at BYU, after I went to Harvard and came back with a PhD and started teaching at BYU, uh, he commented about young scholars are always digging their own foxhole. They're digging their own place to fight. They're mm-hmm. going to take their stand. and I am a great scholar and here's what I've written and look at my list of publications and all this stuff and you fight for the right and all of this stuff um, and th- this is a part of the old saying that why is there so much fighting in academics and the answer is because the stakes are so low
2: <laughs> 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 the stakes are not high the stakes are low
1: and so there's a lot of fighting over you know the 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 right adjective or something um and and I suppose I was digging my foxhole, or my advisor wouldn't have said that. I think he was saying that because he mm. saw me as a firebrand, young scholar digging my own foxhole. Uh, but no, I, I don't dig foxholes anymore, and mm. I don't want to see anybody else in a foxhole. I want to. I want to get out and sing, uh, Silent Night. What I'm getting at is, the famous incident in uh, the uh, World War One where the British and the Germans were in foxholes and shooting at each other during the day. And it was Christmas Eve. You know the story? Yeah. And I think it was a German singer that started singing Silent Night, and the Brits all joined in, and everybody sang Silent Night, and there was a truce. On the field until the commander started yelling, get back in your foxholes.
0: It was a game of football as well. Sorry, soccer. There was a game, I believe, of game of football on Christmas Day. Oh. The, uh, the Germans probably won. <laughs> 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 they beat us at the football normally. But. <laughs> the Brits do well
1: in football, though. We,
0: we, do, we do better in the wars against the Germans <laughs> than we do <laughs> in they, the football. They can win the
1: World Cup a few times, but we won the war. <laughs> yeah. well,
0: that's, that's actually a, a British kookbong song um i i'm so surprised that i i love the idea of wu we wei just to touch on that before the foxholes because you know if you want if you want something done don't do it. It, it the great leader doesn't lead they just let the other people do it you know there's this idea if you push everything left it's going to go right there's this pendulum swinging and sometimes you've just got to let the waves flow and go with them and and sometimes there's this great push and desire to do something but whether it's unintended consequences the cunning of reason you end up achieving the opposite of what you go out to do and so Wu Wei sometimes says let go of those desires and uh, impetuses and you'll get what you want or you might get something that you didn't realize you wanted
1: yeah and you wanted it after all let's Uh, see what it is indeed Uh, i've got a good friend who uh has a phd from harvard just a few years ahead of me two years ahead of me and uh um Started in academics, but ended up in business as a cultural analyst and advisor. Mm. And he he knows Myers-Briggs, you know the Myers-Briggs uh, mm. psychological profile, and he, he, he does that sort of stuff. And he's hired by various companies to go in and fix what's wrong. And he goes in and analyzes people and says, "You're a no wonder you got a problem. You're NTJ and you're ASBY or whatever. You know, you you're different personalities." He talks about how to get along, but uh, he's a Taoist. Mm-hmm. He uses Taoist philosophy all the time in his teaching, and it's a way of getting people to get out of their foxhole and to mm-hmm. mellow out and work together and sing Silent Night and play soccer for a little while rather than just shooting at each other
0: all the time. Academia has so many foxholes. It's absolute, su- absolutely surprised me just how um, aggressive and hostile some people can be, yeah. even in our little field of Korean studies. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's sometimes even more traumatic than working in media and i and i do both but the the hostility are you aware of how popular mbtis are now in south korea no they're so popular that that's all students want to talk about i was asked by uh, i was asked by one of the universities i work at to um complete an mbi test so that they could put it on the profiles so when students oh. sign up for classes i refused because i didn't oh. want to be just four letters yeah we were down on the east coast and they wanted
1: you to put your mbti on the on they the wanted board. me
0: to do it and submit it so that they could make a profile and say sign up for david's classes he's this mbti because that's what appeals to students and they want oh. to know Oh. Ah, this professor is extrovert. He's introvert. He's philosophical. He's oh. he's this, that, and the other. We were we were on the east coast on the beach, and there was a there was a, there was a group of six people a dongari or a moim. There was a group three boys, three girls. They all had white t shirts on. They all had their MBTIs on on and, uh, the t shirts posted on the t-shirt. posted on the t shirts. They're now sometimes asked for or or mentioned in terms of job applications and uh, and job interviews really? in Korea. When I first arrived, it was blood type. It was like David, yeah, what yeah, blood type yeah, are you? And yeah. I would say red. <laughs> they would <laughs> That's good. Uh, That's and they good would look answer. at me and go, David, I think you're a blood type B. You look like a bad boy. And uh, cool. but now, every Korean wants to know about MBTIs. That's the really hot topic at the moment. Really, by the way. do a video I'm, on that.
1: I'm glad to know that. I didn't know that at all. Mm. Oh my goodness, I, I gave a talk at a high school on this trip a couple of weeks ago, mm. uh, Incheon International High School very first-rate school, very impressive. But uh, the letter I got was from, obviously, from students because of the way it was written. And yeah. they, they were trying to show they knew something. That's why they are asking me to come talk. Whereas, you know, a professional uh, would have just said, hey, are you available? We'd like you to talk on X on, uh, on such a date. And uh, so I was intrigued by it. And there was no honorarium, uh, t- it turns out. But they were just the students and the faculty backed them up. And so mm-hmm. I wouldn't talk to them. Nice. Well, they were the students and they're, they had a, 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 a acronym. They were BBOA. And I had no idea what a BBOA was. <laughs> it's their respective blood types. <laughs> These four girls, <laughs> two B's and an O and an A. And that was the name of their, their yeah. group. So yeah, that's part of their thing. But you're saying that uh, if we look closely, they might be giving a mbi as well
0: huh? so my point is if you have to go to a school or a university or while you're here throw mbti in a conversation and uh it's the real big thing i've asked a few uh specialists about this like psychologists and about the mbti and they've sort of said to me yeah not really it's a little bit of fun because you could do a test in the morning and get result x and you could do one in the evening and get result y so it really sort of depends on your mood and i'm I'm hesitant because sometimes students will say, oh, I'm just an introvert. That's my MBTI, that's what I am. And that that pigeonholes them, doesn't it? If they believe they're an introvert, say they're an introvert, that's what they'll become. Well, my
1: friend who does MBTI for a living has made a few million dollars at it. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to
0: do my MBTI test now. I'm <laughs> in I the wrong thing. He sounds like an excellent Taoist. Hey, he's a, he is a Taoist, <laughs>
1: but he's an MBI, which doesn't sound an MBI user, which doesn't sound like the same thing. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he's a smart guy. I just love the piece. He's really a great guy. Paul, my friend Paul. Hi, Paul. <laughs>
0: I, I'm, I reckon that camera probably turned off about two hours ago. I realized I forgot to turn it on silent mode as well. So I was expecting phone calls or all sorts. Oh, um,
1: mine beefed a second ago. I turned this one on silent, but I forgot to turn this one on silent.
0: This, I, I think we've probably just about covered everything. Have we missed anything just before we wrap this up?
1: Oh, thanks for plugging my book. Uh, it was really fun to talk about that. And thanks for allowing me to talk about my views of the world, my experience in Korea. It has really been a fun gig. Thank you.
0: There is no honorarium like the inch on school but um, it's it's been great. Thank you very much. Thank you
1: very much. Appreciate it a lot. Yeah. Bye bye. And relax. You Woo! don't you don't do a on 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 uh, greeting and a farewell.